the Louisville Elm Eagle, Eagle Gardens. <laughs> I totally botched that already. Ready? Hello, I'm Eagle, Eagle Gardens, Eagle Gardens 1 on Instagram. And this is fucking talking shit with Eagle, episode 606. Hopefully you guys have had a great day. I've had a pretty okay day myself, but I'm glad for the opportunity that we have this evening. We've got a hash legend in the house, Miss Jen Doe. How are you doing this evening? You want to tell everybody how you're doing and where you can be found? Hi, guys. I am doing great this evening. Uh, what else was I supposed to say? <laughs> where they can find you uh you can find me on instagram at jendo 420 two n's j-e-n-n-d-o-e 420 i'm there all the time well thank you for joining me this evening uh this is an opportunity i've been looking forward for some time of course i got a brief opportunity with you with the the of course the ladies of hash episode which was an amazing episode had a great response so i'm glad you could come hang out again to get to know you a little further yeah thank you for inviting me and that was a really fun episode to be on with all the ladies need to have it we should take another round this uh on the second year anniversary of that episode go and go again I agree. Uh, Mila just had the Dabadoo there, and for the first time ever, she had the all-women's competition, so it would be really neat to get all the girls back on here so that we can hear how that went, because unfortunately, I was not able to make it, but I heard it was absolutely so much fun. Oh, it looked like it. Uh, I was grateful for uh, her daughter there to post up uh some stuff going on on the Instagram there and it showed her Amelia having a good time and dancing and all that. And it really kind of did show or prove to me that uh, hash could be very much the spice of life. Uh, that's for sure. Absolutely <laughs> is spices. Some of our lives at least. Through that, through that. So uh, what do you, what did you just roll up there? I just rolled up some Super Lemon Mac. Let's see if you can see it. Freaking gorgeous. I didn't keep a cut of this, unfortunately. But I don't know if you can see it. Oh. Really pretty. Has a lot of the Mac characteristics as far as the growth. So it's kind of a finicky little girl. But uh, very, very tasty. I'm sure that's a, a matter of very importance uh, in your garden uh, because extracts is your, your business. I don't think you'd be growing some anything that wasn't tasty in that garden, that's for sure. Not more than once, that's for sure. <laughs> Sometimes those not so great ones slip in there, but uh, it's the price of hunting seeds and finding my own good stuff, so. Take the good with the bad, get the rid of the bad, keep the good. That's pretty. I always admire uh, growers that do uh, pop seeds that aren't afraid to do some of the work themselves instead of just, you know, chasing cuts. 
take going by other people's, you know, clones and stuff like that. Nothing to be said, you know, nothing wrong with that. As long as you're growing and you're growing, I'm, you know, that's, but uh, I, I do appreciate the folks that actually do the hunting to find that next, that next one. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, uh, it's actually the main reason I did not keep the lemon mac in my garden because it's not one of the phenols that I hunted. It's a gorgeous cut that was gifted to me by a friend. Uh, but if I don't hunt it, I just, I don't feel the same about it. And it's funny like that, but yeah, I prefer to find my own little gems that stand out. It's just more gratifying. It's funny that you say that because I'm very much on the record of saying the same thing. Uh, I just don't have the love for clones that come in. You know what I mean? There's just something about that one you've taken from germination all the way through and did the work. I, I completely agree. 100. Kinda like, it's kind of like babysitting someone else's kids as opposed to like having your own. Like you just never really love someone else's kids just as much as yours. You know, it's kind of related to that. Again, I can relate. So, uh, Basically, the, what we what I do here is kind of try to get to know the people in the cannabis world that we see and admire and respect. Uh, so uh, we I usually start right from the beginning. When did cannabis come into your life? When was the first time you used cannabis? Oh, goodness. So I... Cannabis came into my life before I started using cannabis because my parents were cannabis users, even though they lied to me about it, uh, which actually is kind of a big part of like my overall life is being really upset that my parents would lie to me about something like that. Uh, I think the first time I actually smoked cannabis was, I want to say 12 or so. Yeah, it was 12, maybe 13. Um I actually did LSD before I ever smoked weed. So that's kind of a fun story. Uh, the I was in Utah, and so they have the D.A.R.E. program there, and they're all about say no to drugs and whatnot. Um, they didn't really talk much about hallucinogenics, but they sure didn't like weed. And yeah, for that first little bit when I was a kid, I was like, no, I don't need weed. Um but, you know, you smoke it that first time, you fall in love, and it kind of just trickled on from there, so. Do you have any idea of what it was you first, you smoked that first time? Oh, yeah, I'm sure it was from some Mexican cartel down, you know, <laughs> across the border, squishy, squished seeds, uh, bricked as can be. Old, old old school swag like we didn't have the good weed back in the day where i was at uh, i actually didn't even see really good weed until i was like probably in my early 20s is when it started coming around but a lot of what came through for us was just you know dirt weed i think that goes for most I don't think uh, it actually really stepped up in quality for me until like 95. I think I 
really started getting goods on a regular. I think I started uh, actually experiencing something really good a little bit earlier than that. And we're in about 90, somewhere in there. But uh, yeah, definitely not first off. Not def- <laughs> couldn't, you couldn't even know, even if I could, I don't think I could have afforded it on a regular at that day, at that time. That was that was exactly my issue too. Is yeah, as soon as it did come around, I couldn't afford it. Uh, I actually started selling packs of just crappiest weed ever, just to keep my ex husband supplied in weed because he was such a dick without it. Uh, but there's no way I could afford the good stuff until I divorced him. Once I did, uh, that's when the good stuff came around, and I could regulate it myself so that he wasn't just smoking us under the table. Um, it's kind of when like the full on weed started with me. I think I was like 24, decided I needed to get divorced. I wanted to quit my office job. So I went and started, uh, at my dad's old electrical company that he worked for. And I was going to be an apprentice electrician. And during that time, I had some friends kind of come out to me and tell me that they had started growing weed in California they heard I was an electrician, so they wanted me to come up and do a bunch of electrical work for them. So I told them I would do it in return for letting me kind of like in on the rest of like how they did stuff. So I was able to learn a bunch of stuff doing that. Realized I could make a lot more money in the in the canvas area of things than I could in the electrical. Learned everything I needed to know about electrical, just to do basic setup. Quit my job and went full canvas. So, right on. right on. So, uh, what was the initial setup look look like? Uh, give us a little peek on uh, how the start went. Oh gosh, for me, I don't know. So, I actually started setting up other people's grows mostly at first. Um, it wasn't until probably about. 10 years ago that I finally had my own little partnership with somebody that I had some actual say in how we set up the grow. Uh, Previous to that, I was just sort of wiring how everybody else wanted their stuff done. Um, So yeah, I saw a lot of different setups. Uh, We had to get really creative about things too. Like, especially in Utah, we would have places with like trap doors that would go down to a basement that you didn't know about. Like, up in Idaho, uh, I helped strip out like this old, like, I don't even know what they're called. They're almost like uh, mobile homes, but they're not. They're like boxes that are stacked that they used to use for like oh, military. Like a shipping container? Uh, it wasn't a shipping container. It was more along the lines of like a mobile home, except for it wasn't a mobile home, but it reminded me of that. And they would like stack them. So shipping container ish, but no because they weren't metal it was like a house kind of but they used to use them like for like military to like stay in in different spots um but yeah i've seen i've seen them in shipping containers as well uh my very first setup just very basic uh single-ended i think at one point we had light movers uh I actually designed this board for our veg that was like had a bunch of LED lights or uh, fucking regular light bulbs in it on splitters 
that hung over the whole thing uh, and gave it enough light. I don't know. We used to get really creative, so it's hard to say what was my first. Um, my personal first was like, you know, single-ended, closed hoods, triple XL, bullshit. <laughs> I don't know. I've been through about every setup you could possibly imagine, so... What about as far as uh, salts, organic salts? Uh, did how was the start that way? Yeah, I've done it all. I actually used to fight with my my old adopted uncle. He was kind of my first partner and one of my first grows, and he was all about the organic. Uh, and then I had friends that were all about the salts, so I was kind of stuck in the middle of them, you know, advocating for each side. Um, but when I would stay up in Idaho with my uncle, he was very organic. So he's so funny. He He's an Indian. Uh, I can't remember which tribe he was from, but he used to make jokes that he was going to steal his land back one bucket at a time. So like we used to go and steal like manure and like lava rock cinders off the side of the freeway where it was drilled and just anything that he could. Uh, diatonaceous earth from just certain beds up there in Idaho um yeah he was very much so into the organic uh, I think he's the one that got me most interested in that um but I've done it all so hey, would you consider yourself always to be a recreational uh consumer or as at some point have you considered how you feel about animals? Uh, no, I think I've always been very much so a medical advocate for it. I've used it for a lot of health issues I had. Um, I found out when I started smoking the good weed that if I kept a steady supply in my system, it actually eliminated the migraines that I used to get. I used to get just debilitating migraines that would knock me on my ass for two days at a time put me in the emergency room. They, they basically used me as a guinea pig for every single migraine medication out there, whether it was a nasal spray or a pill or an injection. Um, at one point, they tried to talk me into some type of a heart surgery because something having to do with a certain valve in your heart, they noticed that there was a correlation between people that had a malfunction with this heart valve and migraines, um, but they weren't sure. So I definitely didn't want a heart surgery over a headache that may or may not help. Um, they put me on every pain medication, muscle relaxer, anti-seizure medication, uh, pretty much just the whole gambit of pharmaceuticals at one time or another from growing up. I had migraines since I was like five, I think is when I started getting them. So from the age of five to about 24, four or 25. Yeah. I just was, I was a guinea pig for the neurologists, uh, cause they don't really know what causes migraines. So it gets really tricky, especially when you're dealing with it in young children. So when I switched over to smoking really good weed, uh, I noticed as long as I kept it consistent, consistently in my system, my migraines stopped happening as frequently. So, uh, 
Yeah, I continued to use it specifically for that, noticing a huge difference. But also, I was kind of middleman in a lot of stuff for a while. And I noticed that a lot of my clients were actual patients that would tell me all the different things that they used their cannabis for, you know, whether it be back pain or this or that, all the stuff that we treat for. And so I always knew it was just a very beneficial plant and I never really understood why it was illegal and why all of these amazing qualities were hidden. Uh, so yeah, I've always kind of been a medical advocate. I, I'm not the hugest fan of recreational weed, although I do know that it does serve a purpose. Uh, it's kind of the only way that we can normalize it to a lot of people to give them the opportunity to be able to even look at that as an option for a lot of their, their chronic illnesses or issues that they have. So I know it's necessary, but at the same time, I think it's really sad that it has sort of taken this weird turn to where it's almost like turned away from the medicinal properties and it's now just a fight to the top or to the bottom with recreational weed. And I feel like it kind of took away a lot of, a lot of the progress that we were making on the medical side, you know? So, but is it necessary? Yeah there's a lot of fucking people that can now have access to it and normalize it to where they're comfortable using it. Um, I wish we would have stuck more to the medical side personally is what it is though. Fight's not over yet. Fight's not over yet. That's what I say about that. Um, I agree with you on, uh, Everything you just said, to be honest with you. I, I say it time and time again that I, I'm very disheartened that legalize our recreational cannabis is going to sweep coast to coast uh, before the medical really had a chance to kick in. And I think that's the purpose, to be honest with you. I think the powers that be are kind of lobbying for legal cannabis just to kind of... Uh, slide Shit. a hand thing look look yeah. over here look over here and then as and we we see this from every every state that goes legal you see uh the number of medical cards cease to kind of uh be pulled dwindle as recreational goes across the board and with the dwindling numbers the dwindling research in my opinion so i i, I see everything you're saying but again, the one thing you did say that was uh, good about it is, you're right, good about it, is that the normalization of it all. You know, there's, I think, a lot of people, and I know quite a few of them, that are, because of legal reasons, don't want to touch it. But they remember that use from a kid, be, you know what I mean, but didn't want to break the law or whatever. And would like to if it was legal it's not medicine for me but if it were legal i would i would use some so for that those doors that are reopened and you know yeah i'm grateful for that but I, i'm right there with you i would 100 percent rather see the medical side uh go first uh 100%. yeah i feel like maybe we were making too much progress you know, like we were actually seeing 
progress with cannabis uh, in the medical section. And yeah, I agree. I think it was one of those sleight of hands to where it's like, look over here, look, it's legal now. It's like alcohol. And don't pay any attention to the cancer patients that are actually finding relief from this because our billion dollar industry over here, pharmaceuticals really doesn't want to deal with that. So yeah, it's, it's disheartening. The balance is just, ah, I feel like, you know, unfortunately, obviously our government doesn't have our best interest in mind. Um, if they did, you know, it would be amazing to see more of a balanced situation to where it could be both. But, you know, with all the different states that I've been in, I've bounced all over the place chasing medical laws because just don't, I don't have the heart for the recreational because of all the reasons we just said. And it's like every time I get established in a state and I'm like, yes, the medical is amazing. And then they bring in recreational, but they don't work hand in hand. All of a sudden, recreational is trying to stomp out the medical and it's just pushing all these patients underground again. I've seen it in Washington. I watched it in Oregon. I watched it in Massachusetts. You know, like it's, yeah, it's very disheartening to see it. there just needs to be some sort of a balance. And I don't know that we're going to be able to achieve that, you know, and it's sad. It's really sad. That's where we're losing an entire community. We're taking a community that people, patients, sick people that don't leave their houses ever, except for like when I was in Washington, there were patients that would save their energy to go out once a week to one of the little farmer's markets. And that was the only interaction that they would have with humans, you know, because they were so sick or in such a a debilitated state that they couldn't, but they would make it a point. And just the community that surrounded that was so beautiful. And they, the government has just absolutely destroyed that everywhere. So watching this beautiful community be turned into this just heart-wrenching industry, like it hurts my soul, you know? Yeah, but what can you do, you know? Everything we're doing, I guess, but we keep doing it. But where the fuck is it going? It's still going the same way that they want it to. I think a lot of people just don't realize they're so distracted by the recreational that they don't see that there's been that bait and switch there, you know? Yeah. I'm hoping people wake up to what's going on there because, you know, as you kind of pointed out there, um, where cannabis has the most value is, you know, the cancer patients, uh, the people that kind of suffer from epilepsy and all that. And cannabis really does offer them a better quality of life throughout. Uh, what the, and that's, the sickening part, I think, of Big Pharma is that's where they hit the hardest. Those mm-hmm. folks that are fighting all the major ailments like that. That kind of medicine for all those ailments is crazy. You know what I mean? The prices those people have to pay for that medication. It's almost like Big Pharma is like just trying to liquidate their assets as they erase mm-hmm. them out, to be honest with you. And they don't cannabis has a big dent in what they're trying to do there so i can see them not wanting 
cannabis to be in the medical limelight for a lot of reasons. You know, that takes, like I said, that's a big dent in their pocket. And when people find out they can cure their own, Big Pharma no longer has a place. And uh, so I do really, truly believe it has a slide of hand. Yeah. So uh, my girlfriend, Elaine, she is the original outcast on Instagram. I've been helping treat her cancer with her for the last year and a half or so. And it's very, very, very disheartening to me to actually have access to somebody that is being steered by the medical industry, you know? And so to see how they actually manipulate these patients, like from the very get-go is just disgusting. And it all, it all kind of like made sense to me after this last year, exactly why they're not going to make this federally legal at any point soon. So trying to think of the best way to kind of explain this scenario without getting caught up on my words. So basically the, the doctors will force you into these other treatments because they scare you like, okay, you have cancer and you're going to die unless you do this. All right. So it's called authoritative learning to where we're taught from very, very young, like from birth, like you listen to cops and you listen to doctors, you know, cops keep you safe, doctors keep you alive. So from the very get-go, the second that somebody's given a diagnosis, especially a terminal diagnosis, all of a sudden, all reason goes out the window. And now we are hyper-focused on these doctors because it is our doctor's job to save our lives. That's, that's what we're told, right? Now, is that the case? No, it's not. They, they could, half of them could give a fuck less. It's just your dollar amount, you know? Um, and I kind of saw that whole process happen this last year with Elaine to where the doctors pressured her into doing these different treatments. They will not take any information about the cannabis. They were like, you can use it, but we can't write it in your charts. We don't want to know anything that's going on. But in the meantime, they want to know every single other thing you're taking into your body. Are you taking aspirin? Are you taking supplements? Uh, what medications? Like they want a list of this shit, right? But they don't want to hear anything about cannabis. So as I'm treating Elaine with cannabis, we are now seeing that she's starting to improve. Well, the doctors come in. The doctors are like, that's our medication that's improving. And by the way, we think the cannabis might be hurting you. So you shouldn't take that now. Okay, wait a minute. What? So it's just, and I don't want to speak too much on her condition without like expressed permission, but the fact of the matter is, is that as we're, as we're making progress with these patients, the doctors are legitimately taking any progress that we're making with cannabis and they're attributing it to their treatments. So the more cannabis that I give her, she can be getting better, but they're giving her chemo and radiation, all this shit. And they're like, no, no, it's us. So my beneficial efforts to attempt to help her with, with her, with her cancer, they're now able to turn around and take all of the benefits that cannabis and this heavy, heavy, uh, doses that we've had her on. And they're able to say, no, that's our chemo. Our chemo is saving your life. Well, how do we have any way of knowing? 
they won't even document cannabis in the shit, but they'll tell her, okay, keep using it until you question our medication. The second you question our medication, it's the cannabis. You should stop that. Right? So it's like this big fucking machine that the more us caregivers are trying to help these patients, the more these doctors are taking all of our beneficial results and the more they're able to now play this off to other patients and say, look how successful these, these studies were, you know, but they won't document the cannabis in there. So Elaine was actually the only person out of this study in this, this cancer situation that she was in a study for. She was the only one that survived it. Like we've, we've brought her a long way. They gave her six months to live almost two years ago. She's the only person that survived the cancer study she went through and they won't document a single fucking sentence about the cannabis she's used, but they'll turn around and tell everybody that their miracle medication that they've been testing is working. So really by helping her and hurting her and all the other patients, because the more I help her, the more they say that it's their medication, the more they're now able to convince other patients to use their medication because they won't say anything about cannabis. So it's like we're fueling the fucking system. We don't even realize it. They're like, keep going, little cannabis caregivers. We're not going to say shit about it, but we're going to take all of your progress. And we're going to say that it's this fucking medication that did it. Keep going, little cannabis workers. Like it hit me one day and I was just like, I'm literally hurting you by helping you. Because the more I help you, the more ammunition I'm giving to these doctors to say that it's their medication that's helping rather than the benefits of cannabis that we're seeing from this very heavy regimen that we have around. So as you can see, it's this massive fucking system to where they're like, they want us to keep doing what we do. They don't say don't use cannabis unless you start questioning their medication. That's when they turn on that fuck cannabis. Like it's, it's our medication. And so it's this big vicious cycle to where we're actually fueling this fucking machine by giving them positive results every time we help a patient because they refuse to document any of the help that we're giving them. So it's, it's fucked is what it is. Super fucked. It is, it is. It's fucking very discouraging, but what do you do? You know what I mean? You got to keep the fight going. Because even though that, you know, like I said, uh, they're forced to kind of keep playing the game without the cannabis. I've seen people with cancer fight that fight too. And they, the life they lead from, you know, throughout that process is horrible. Horrible. You know what I mean? So again, we're kind of talking about the the quality of life and that's you know what i mean that's what cannabis does throughout that it, it so improves the quality of life through that that fight you know what i mean some of it is i believe a necessary evil some of it you know i you know it's tough you know but well, when we start when we start looking at the dollar amounts that are tied to this okay so uh for the treatment for the study medication, it was like $160,000 for one fucking treatment. That doesn't include any of the scans. That doesn't include the doctor visit. That doesn't include the lab work. That doesn't include the x-rays. 
just one injection of this study medication, $160,000 a month for one. And then they add on chemo to it. Chemo was something like $80,000 a treatment. And she was getting two to three of those a month. So let's do the math on that. That's $320,000 a month for three shots. Two sessions of chemo, one session of study medication, $320,000 a fucking month. Okay. And that's just the medication. Again, that doesn't even include the doctor's visits. That doesn't include any of the other shit. Now, if somebody was to take $5,000 worth of cannabis, we could set them up with an entire month regimen to hit them super fucking heavy with all these cannabinoids. So let's look at the difference. $320,000. For something that now let's keep in mind, this has all these side effects, right? So these three shots a month. Now let's add on all of the additional medications that they need for it to counteract the this and the this and the this and the this. So again, let's take it back to cannabis. So for $5,000 a month, you could heavily saturate somebody with massive amounts of cannabis to be able to be insanely helpful. But why would they do that when just the anti-nausea medication itself probably runs $5,000 a month? That doesn't even include everything else that the cannabis is helping with the different symptoms. So why would they encourage that? So that's kind of where that bait and switch in my eyes, that's where I feel like that bait and switch comes in because they're like, oh shit, well, if people know you can take this for nausea or if people know you can take this for you know, appetite or for sleep or for pain. Like think of all the medications we're able to knock out with that. So they're like, nah, nah, let's make cannabis like alcohol because we don't want people taking THCA capsules to soothe their nausea while they're going through chemo because our pharmaceuticals cost fucking 10 times that, if not a hundred times that. And so they don't want that to happen. But at the same time, they're using all of our beneficial information to say that it's all their stuff. So we're still powering their little engines. In the meantime, they are just shitting all over these patients. Like it's fucking disgusting what the medical industry does. But yeah, you start putting those dollar amounts to it. And like, we wonder why they're not going to make it federally legal for us. We're talking multi-billion dollar companies here, you know? Then I have another friend that pointed out that we could take it even a step farther than that. So not only do we have the pharmaceutical companies that we're up against, right? But let's look at like the gas industry and petroleum. Do you have any idea how much petroleum goes into making all of our pharmaceuticals and how intertwined those two industries actually are? So we're not only dipping into the medical, we're also dipping into all these other reaches of these different sectors of the government that are also making hand over fist in billions of dollars. So like, why would they try and give us any, any type of medical benefit to cannabis when it's literally affecting all of the largest money makers in our government? We're never going to see it federally legal. They're not going to do that. They're not like it wipes out billions of dollars on their end and puts it back into our hands. They're just not going to do it. Like I, for the longest time, I tried to have hope, you know, like, oh no, they're going to deschedule it. You know, maybe if we fight, fuck no, follow the money, follow the money. That's all you got to do and ask yourself why, why, why won't they, why won't they decriminalize cannabis?
Same reason they criminalized it in the first place. Money. Well, that's why I think we will see legalization before decriminalization. Yeah, yeah. And that's the other reason why I think that you will see it go legal from coast to coast really soon is that thing that you just said is the greed, the greed of it all. You know, uh, they, they'll think at that point, yes, yes, we're, we, we've saved our industry. We can still sink our, our, our teeth into the sick and suck the last bit of blood out of them as, as they go. But then well, now go, they've rolled it over look, into us growers. We can make we can make we can make money over there too in that industry that we encourage. But wait, we can't get into that until we we make it legal, and then they'll make it legal for them, and then again they'll push us out of the way. That's when they'll take away the home grow. And that's the biggest thing that scares me, and it should scare a lot of people in the industry, is we're winning fights state by state, but we all so can see a whole. We can see a, a, re, a reset on a whole on across the board. You know what I mean? They could the feds could come in honestly and go, "Okay, you guys have made a nice system. We're going to take your system." But all of you have to fucking start over and, you know, obey by our rules. And at that point, I think it would be all because, again, the lobbying that had been done by because it's not just Big Pharma, which because it's it's a domino effect, you know. Again, it's the look over here, the look over here, because they, it started with the pharma, but as they looked over here and went recreational, well, now it's hurting the alcohol market across the board. It's, I'm sure, put a huge dent in the alcohol market. And again, I'm sure it's the, the tobacco market, I'm sure, has taken a hit as well from both A and B. You know what I mean? People just don't need it because, you know, they don't need it <laughs> it's just not another habit they need anymore so all three industries are kind of taking the hit uh mm -hmm. then they're going to want to invest so somebody's going to want to they're going to lobby for it and get re try to recoup they're going to you know what i mean they're going to try to recoup somehow so i hate to say it but i i do think it will happen but i think we're going to be at the shitty end of the stick yeah. I don't know. I've always kind of yeah. had this theory, like decriminalization sounds fucking great, but have we ever considered the fact that they could turn it to like a schedule two and put it directly in the hands of the pharmaceutical companies and take it out of the medical hands of the providers completely? So maybe we're just these little ants that are building their little fucking system down here, right? And then we're all screaming to like federally legalize it. And then they're like, oh, you want to call it medicine? We're going to make it medicine now. So this is now the pharmaceutical. So honestly, I fucking hate to say it and I hope I'm wrong, but that's where I see the future of medical cannabis headed if the government has their way is to take over the medical sector 
completely. Completely. And just take it away from us. So I feel like, you know, let's say in the next 10 years, I feel like, yeah, they're going to legalize it because they're dipping into the taxes there. But I really feel like they're going to turn around and find a way to be charging the same ridiculous prices by putting it in pharmaceutical hands to be able to recoup that money on the pharmaceutical side. I hope I'm wrong. I do. But at the same time, I can't help but feel like I'm this little busy ant that they've got just building this little platform for them to come in and be like, oh, you wanted us to reschedule it. Well, now we're going to take it completely. And it's now medicine. It's legitimate pharmaceutical medicine now. Like they've got so many different trials and studies and shit that they're doing behind our backs. We have no fucking clue about none. They have huge facilities that they are doing massive testing of different things on. We have no fucking idea what they're doing, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's another one of those, like, don't look at the man behind the curtain type of situations. You know, I just, I really feel like medical is just, we're in a bad spot. Like, and they, they like to boost our self-esteem, make us feel like we're making progress. But I remember when I was in Washington, when Washington went legal, I got one year of being able to grow medically before they slapped wreck in. And then I was on the states of the state or on the stairs of the state capitol protesting with everybody. I was part of the patients that were going in, talking to our senators, making appointments to tell them how we feel, really advocating for this plant. And I just came up uh, across one of my Facebook memories recently that was like, yay, we made progress. Like, I feel like we maybe saved ourselves for another year. Fuck no, we didn't. They went in behind closed doors, changed all the laws that we'd already voted in, passed them how they wanted them, and just ripped medical right away from us. You know, it's just, it, I, the government is rough. Like they are, they are 10 steps ahead of where we think they are. And they just keep us running around, chasing our goddamn tails to completely distract us from that fact. But here we are still fighting for it like we have a chance. And I'm not saying don't fight for it. I'm also just saying like we can't be naive to the fact that our government does not have our backs on this. You know, it all comes down to that dollar amount. And unfortunately, the patients are getting lost in between there, you know. As far as that goes, I think we the government kind of lost having our back when we gave them the power of the federal reserve when we gave them the power of the money and we kind of started borrowing from them i think they stopped having their back at that point <laughs> to be honest with you but i think here in michigan we i think we are the perfect model of what you're saying and what the game plan really is uh here in michigan we we started as a medical state and obviously, like you said, uh, we people started to take note of the medical impact, the fight against opiates, the power it did have against uh, many, many ailments. And they thought, hmm, this is, this is something. And then they tried to make it a, where they could make more money on it. You know what I mean? They tried to let larger scale started selling permits getting greedy there 
And then they thought, hmm, well, these these caregivers are a kink in the system. They're providing better medicine. In most cases, giving it away. We can't make no money on that shit. We've got to drive out the caregivers. We have to start pointing the finger at the caregivers. And then that didn't work. You know what I mean? The patients still realize the quality medicine comes from the caregivers. They said, well, hmm, fuckers. <laughs> we'll make it legal. All right. Anybody can have it. Anybody can grow it. Well, and at that point, they were still pointing the finger at us. Well, we got dirty medicine coming in from the caregivers, and them fuckers are supplying the black market. Really? Our numbers are fucking crazy tight on what we can have. You know what I mean? Uh, of ready and available, what we can grow. And now we're feeding the state's black market doesn't make any sense so they they really they unleashed the the legal grow or the legal recreational cannabis anybody can grow 12 anybody can grow 12 and now actually and this is how fucked up the system is here in michigan you can have 12 plants per patient but usable cannabis Technically, you're only supposed to have 2.5 ounces of usable cannabis on hand at any one time. Mm-hmm. It's tight numbers. That's tight numbers. Just like I said, that's tight numbers. But you're feeding the black market, right? Mm-hmm. A recreational household can grow 12 plants and they're entitled to have whatever they can produce so if you you knock it out of the park and you have an awesome outdoor grow and you're able to produce 15 pounds that's cool throw in the closet smoke on it all you want party it up bite some friends over but don't call it medicine you know what i mean yeah and again so another round comes this last few months ago and again the caregivers the dirty fucking caregivers it was right after uh the fall harvest oh man they they the market's full they're they're flooding the black market with cannabis hmm it wasn't almost every household that grew you know what i mean and wasn't re- uh restricted by numbers that's not feeding the market. No, 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 no. It's the caregivers. And damn it, we have to stop this. You know what I mean? We have to get them out of here. And I and I think at one point, once they get that going and they they try to take away the caregiver, and then they'll 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 go, okay, we've taken care of the problem. Now, what do we do about all that free cannabis? Ah, we got to take away the home grow. No longer will you have them 12 plants. They'll have it all in their hands at that point. And we'll be back to being outlaws and growing cannabis again. 
So it's kind of like you said, it's the kind of slide of hand, slide of hand, slide of hand until it's out of our control. And so, which kind of leads me back. And again, I, I shouldn't be talking this much. This is your episode. No, please <laughs> talk this much. <laughs> uh, it leads me back to uh, the medical side of things and what I think has the most weight uh, for those who tend to do it is the cultivation side of things. Uh, anybody that has grown cannabis or pretty much anything else with a little bit of heart, cannabis has a special bond for some reason. I think it's because we view it so much as a medicine that we can relate to it so a little bit more than a house plant or anything like that. But anybody that's grown cannabis, when they step into their little area, they know that feeling, the anxiety that leaves everything else, that's a huge part of the medicine. You know what I mean? The healing part of cannabis. And it's actually, you know, furthermore, that can to, you know, when you're sick and you're losing your abilities to do things one by one, nobody, but nobody likes to say, I can't. You know, the, just that word is crippling. I've hated, I taught my kids, you know, that I, I'd almost rather hear kids say fuck than I can't or can't. You know what I mean? Can't in my book is such an ugly, ugly word. And being able to say that when you're sick is more disabilitating than a lot, the illness itself. So mm -hmm. once you realize that cannabis is your medicine and you're now cultivating your medicine, that is one hell of a powerful emotion. You know, okay. that right there is giving back a whole lot of can do. I can heal myself. Wow. That just saying that I can heal myself kind of will give you chills. You know what I mean? Goosebumps down your back. And that very much is huge medicine right there in itself you know i'm a person that believes in manifestation and a lot of that stuff and once you get that feeling going i think you're well upon your way of healing most ailments so yeah. i again once they take that away again i think they really crippled <laughs> crippled everything that we've done i agree with that i mean for me uh i deal with PTSD and one of the biggest components of cannabis helping me with that is the actual process of growing it myself you know being able to like you said like I can like it's with intent it's with purpose and to see something grow in front of you and to watch and to feel yourself grow with it like insanely therapeutical Absolutely. So, um, as you've kind of went on, what strains that have you found that have worked well for uh, patients and stuff like that? Uh, what have you found, or in which forms, and what have you found works best for the people you work with? All of them. <laughs> All of them in all forms, honestly, uh, diversity is really huge. So really like all of them uh, together, you know, 
Um, one thing I learned as I've been doing all the different research on trying to help with cancer and whatnot is that, you know, our body can build up certain immunity to consistency. So I feel like it's important to have that variety, uh, whatever it may be to kind of help keep it mixed up in the system, you know, and that way our body's not building such tolerance to it so quickly. Um, so there is not one specific strain or strains, or one specific type. Um, it's all of them in conjunction with each other. You know, uh, when I was coming up with a regimen for Elaine to really hit her cancer hard, I actually stopped and looked at things and was like, okay, how do I best address this? How do we, how do we get the body to accept this in, in the best way possible? Um, and kind of across the board. And so I'd actually came up with a couple different things for her. So THCA, here's a surpriser that a lot of people aren't aware of. THCA allowed that woman to hold down food. Like, so for stomach issues, for starters, uh, for anti-nausea, like when we think of cannabis, it's like, all right, so let me back it up just a little bit. So when I was in my 20s and really kind of, uh, you know, starting to explore the medical benefits of cannabis as opposed to just it's weed and we love it, um, my grandma got cancer and I had heard all these things about, you know, cannabis being able to help sick people, but I didn't really understand it. And being in Utah, we didn't really have access to even feel comfortable looking things up online per se. Not only that, but there really wasn't all that in, all that much information to even be accessed online, even if we did have the balls to try and research it. So what kind of happened was I started hearing about RSO. Well, I had access to all this weed. I'm sitting on five pounds of really good weed and I'm looking at it and I'm like, how do I, how do I turn this into something to be able to help? Like, what is this RSO I've heard of? How do I make it? Where do I get it? Like, it was so frustrating to me because I had all this weed. I just didn't have the resources to be able to understand how I could convert that weed and use the parts of it that were necessary for different things. So unfortunately, as I started coming across a lot of information to try and help my grandma to try and figure out how do I turn these pounds of weed into usable cancer fighting medication, you know, I had no fucking idea. So as I started finding the information, unfortunately, it was too late. So I got a stack of paperwork together. My grandma ended up dying. And it was so frustrating to me because I had access to the weed. I didn't have access to any of the information to understand how to apply the cannabis to have it be beneficial. And so that's kind of one of the reasons that I am so very vocal online. I'm very giving with my information. I'm very, very much so willing to like put myself out there to try and provide this information that I didn't have access to when I needed it. Um, so when I started working with Elaine, I started kind of breaking the plant apart and trying to figure out, okay, so let's be a little more specific and a little more, you know, uh, detail oriented on why we're using what for what. 
So rather than just like, here, take RSO, gram a day, boom, there you go. Right. So that's what a lot of people kind of know, like, oh, I hear to help with cancer, a gram of RSO a day for so many days. All right. Well, that's not really specific to like, well, when do you take it? How do you take it? Like, do you space it out over the day? Do you just take it once? Do you eat it? Do you mix it with something? You stick it in your ass? Like, how? How do you how do you do this and why? So I started really digging into that, the whys and the what's. So when we originally started giving her THCA, it was kind of a it was kind of like one of those situations where her and I were in Florida doing a bucket list trip for her so that she could find a nude beach. And of course, she needed the nude farmer with her to go find the nude beach as her bucket list, you know, uh, as she's fighting this cancer and really worried that she's not going to win. So we're in Florida and I find out that the doctors have kind of told her that they think that the RSO that she's been taking is affecting her liver and it's destroying her liver, they tell her. And so she's now stopped taking RSO at this point and hadn't had any in about two weeks. She was sick as could be. Just so happened that I had like probably an ounce of diamonds on me uh, just for, you know, whatever we needed them for. And when she told me that she hadn't been taking anything, I was like, we have to get something in you right now. So I was like, I have no idea what this THCA is going to do, but I'm going to pack some of these diamonds into a fucking capsule and you're going to eat it. I don't know that it's going to, it's not going to get you high because it's not decarboxylated. I don't know what effects it's going to have for you. So we started having her take it and within the first afternoon, so I had her take one in the morning, waited to see, make sure that it wasn't going to make sure that, you know, I wasn't wrong and it was going to fuck her up super bad. Uh, I had her take another one. And by lunchtime, she was able to eat. And not only was she hungry, but she was able to hold the food down. And so it was really interesting to not have any other THC in her system so that I could actually see what the benefits of just this simple THCA crystals was actually providing for her and her different ailments. So that kind of showed me that THCA plays a really big part in being able to hold down food. The great thing is as well is it doesn't get it doesn't get you high. So you're getting all of the benefits of being able to eat your food and not being so fucking high like RSO will just get you wrecked. Yes, it's necessary. But then we start thinking about okay, so when's the best time to take RSO? Right? Well, at night so you can kind of sleep through that high. The other part of that is the cancer is kind of like active and alive and thriving at night when you sleep. Not only does our body heal itself when we sleep, but that cancer is going fucking crazy in there while we're sleeping. So, you know, the whole theory of, well, gee, take a gram of RSO. Well, that's great. But if you take this RSO in the morning, not only are you going to be insanely high for the whole day and not really able to function to the ability that a lot of these people would like, but then come nighttime when that cancer is more active, you've actually got less RSO in your system than you did when it was inactive. So it was really important for me to kind of figure out the different methods and how to actually administer these different these different forms of cannabis and what is the purpose for them? You know, so I was able to kind of put together like, okay, so THCA in the morning, maybe smaller dose of the RSO to help with pain. And then 
THC again in the afternoon, because if you don't keep a constant, a, a constant flow of that THC in your system, it's almost like morphine with pain. You know, if you don't keep that constant stream of painkillers and you let that pain up again, then all of a sudden you're having to counteract this type of situation. So by keeping THCA consistent throughout the day, we were able to keep her stomach functioning appropriately enough that she could eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner and keep it down. She also was getting the benefits of that. And she wasn't completely wrecked from, from decarboxylated regular THCA that just gets you high off your ass. So it's really important to kind of like break these things down and see what parts of the plant we're using and for what and what they're beneficial for. And uh, the other thing I did, so distillate, I wouldn't normally recommend distillate as a cancer curing situation, right? Because all it is is THC and you've got all this other stuff stripped away from it. One thing I did notice about distillate is anytime I eat a distillate edible, the biggest side effect is number one, yeah, I get fucking high. But the other thing is, is that I'm hungry. I get the munchies. So I started thinking about it and I was like, oh shit. Okay. So if the THCA is going to let her keep food down, now we incorporate a little bit of the distillate in there at a certain amount of time so that we can use that to actually utilize it to make her hungry. So that way we're now providing her with an appetite with this whole other extraction and situation, you know? So like every piece of this plant has got a certain thing that it can help with. And unfortunately not having the medical side of things and having, you know, the ability to actually do the research on this stuff, the way that we should be like, we're just left with this big mess of puzzle pieces. And it's a matter of trying to put it all together in the appropriate way that can be helpful. But, you know, with one plant, we've now got I've already talked about three different things. So I've talked about the THCA, I've talked about the THC and then, or sorry, the RSO. And then I've talked about the distillate. Well, all three of those are serving a different purpose, but they're still from the same plant. You know, Uh, in addition to that, uh, we added suppositories because the method of actually using a suppository, it has a different absorption than if you're taking it orally. So now we've got RSO from the top is doing one thing and from the bottom, it's doing a whole nother thing, but it's all about figuring out how to put those together. What does what, when do we take those and how do we put this whole regimen together so that it has the most benefit? That's something that it took me a lot of fucking like a lot of thought and a lot of research and a lot of effort and a lot of just like paying attention to what these different things were doing and using my common sense to be able to put these together. But now we're talking like we've got four or five different methods of administering this in different amounts of different things in different ways. And they're all having different effects. And so I think we were able to find some really great success with her just with, you know, being very specific about how and what and why. I think understanding why you're taking what you're taking is so important to be able to have that be beneficial. If you're trying to take THCA just for fucking pain, that might not be what is going to be good for you, you know, but certain people might be like, oh, well, cannabis didn't help me. And it's like, well, you didn't use it properly for the right thing, or you didn't use the right part of it, or you didn't use it at the appropriate time in order for it to help what you're doing. So there's a lot of thought that goes into this that 
that's where the medical system comes back in. And it frustrates me so bad. They could answer a lot of these questions for us. They didn't just shut it down. But here I am trying to figure out all these different things because the doctors were telling this poor woman that the RSO was affecting her liver, which it wasn't, you know? Um, I mean, in a way that was kind of a blessing in disguise because I had to go with the kind of an alternative. I figured out how to make a solventless version of RSO because they thought maybe the, you know, trace amounts of alcohol that was maybe within the RSO was causing some different problems. So in order to come up with a new solution for that, I had to figure out how do we basically replicate RSO in a non-solvent version. So in order to do that, what I did was uh, food grade bags of water hash, right? What does the food grade differentiate from the rest of the bags that we use? Well, in the food grade, we've got trace amounts of plant material. Well, the plant material is also contained chlorophyll in it. So that's one of the benefits to RSO, which is why we find the benefits because the alcohol extraction takes out more from the plant than just a regular like water hash extraction would, right? So in order to make this solventless form of RSO, I was just using all of my bags, you know, my my food grade and my regular grade because incorporating that chlorophyll and whatever else is contained within that small minute trace of plant material basically was was in my eyes replicating RSO minus the alcohol. So that then opened up a whole nother set of of concoctions that I could think of to be able to make. So now I've got capsules that are solventless RSO. We can either use them if you do like a fresh extract from, you know, fresh plant material, fresh frozen, um, then we're actually able to maintain the THCA levels in that. Whereas if I was doing an extraction with dried material, we've got a different ratio of the THCA to the THC because we've got the curing of that and the, uh, you know, the changing of the THCA, the THC. So we're able to get a whole different effect from capsules that are made from that. Then we can take it a step farther. We can actually decarboxylate those. And then we're able to pull out a lot of the other different beneficial things. So for example, like I would decarboxylate the, the non-solvent RSO, and now we're bringing in the CBN and the CBGs if we take it far enough. You know, so I'm able to take this one thing and just with very small, minute changes in these things, we're able to create so many different products. And again, it's a matter of understanding why and when do I use what? So, yeah, I I just I totally nerd out on it because I just see so many amazing properties to this and that's where the medical system is failing us. Like how much easier could they do this without fucking high school dropout having to figure all this shit out? Like, come on guys, help me out here, you know? But, uh, anyway, I I don't know exactly what I was going with on that, but yeah, that's kind of, so yeah. What kind is best for what all of them? Because in the meantime, as we're making all these things, we also want to use all the different strains Because in those different strains, we have different levels of different cannabinoids, different terpenes, different, all these other different things that are affecting us in in a positive way. And it's a matter of knowing how and when and what, and like keep the body not used to it. Um, Then we can go a step farther. And when I talk about like 
when you're actually cultivating them yourself, you also have control over when do you pull that plant, right? So same plant, I can have different levels of absolutely everything depending on when I decide to pull that plant. So I can actually take a plant and if I want it to have more of this or more of that or less of this or less of that, you can actually pull the plant at different times because if you look at different test levels when people get their flowers tested, if you were to do it like by the day, right? So test, test one single plant, take a nug on this day, take a nug on this day, take a nug on this day and test it to see how those levels kind of go up and down and how they change throughout the life cycle of the plant. You're getting different concentrations of different things at different times, which then also creates the ability to have different forms of useful substances from the same plant just by taking it at different times. And then we can manipulate it into different things. So every plant we have the ability to do that with, and the more strains that we can actually do that with, we're able to pull all of the different qualities out of this just by, just by doing it with intent and understanding why. Why, why are we doing this this way? Why are we pulling this now? Like, what is the goal for each one of these little facets that I've found? So it, it does get a little bit complicated, but like my brain just gets going and I'm like, ooh, 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 this and this and this and this. Um, but we need that, you know, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to be able to do a little bit of a little bit of playing around with it and just like applying that that extra step of the why. What are we trying to accomplish and how do we do that? Because there's so many things we can accomplish with the same damn plan. So, yeah, that's, that's my spiel on that. My, my response to that is, wow, and thank you for nerding out. That's all I can say on that. It was very well informed, very much informative. Uh, you know, you bring up one point that, I, I, again, uh, I haven't been talking about a lot lately when I talk about RSO and I don't hear a lot of people honestly talking about is chlorophyll. Uh, and I think that's a key part of the RSO when, when uh, Mr. Simpson actually, and, and again, I, I hate when people kind of pick apart that oil, the oil did exist prior to Mr. Simpson. But he was the first one that kind of necessarily decided, gave us a, a, a key process on how to do it. And I think what part of the process, the healing process in his method, it was the whole plant, um, which I'm sure like you're talking about, it has a lot of the A in it uh, from that process. But I think it offered a lot more of the chlorophyll. And most people, when we talk about, I almost at this point call it the, the recreational FECO or RSO, the uh, quick wash. You know what I mean? Most people talk, oh, yeah, you want to do it fast. You don't want that green in there. And you do I'm want thinking the green. More, 
yes, that's what I've been saying lately. You need to let it sit. You want that chlorophyll in there. You know, it helps promote red uh, blood cell health. It helps with the liver. It helps you sleep. Why would you want it? It's a part of, you know, at this point, we're talking about, you know, giving it to cancer patients and stuff. Why wouldn't you want that key element in there? And well, I feel the, like uh, few people I've heard talk about that angle of it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you yeah. off. No, I sorry, I was cutting you off. My bad. Um, I feel like people are kind of like there's this weird, there's this weird space to where RSO is almost being compared to like smokable hash. It's different. Like, yeah, when we're making hash, we don't want our smokable hash to have chlorophyll in it. Otherwise, we'll just smoke flowers. Otherwise, it's called contaminated uh it adds different problems like it the hash can mold easier when there's plant material in it like it is it is a volatile material that can go bad and therefore the shelf life is changed by having a not so clean hash you know um but it absolutely should not be compared in that way and i feel like the people that are doing that you know you don't want that green like they don't understand it's being applied wrong. Just like I said, like thinking of that intent of why, why, and what, okay, well, the why is because there's benefit to that chlorophyll, you know, and people don't understand that because if they're, if they're looking at it through the hash mentality of hash, like it's, it's different. It's different, whole different thing. But yeah, the chlorophyll is so, so important. I mean, and a lot of the health things that you read as far as uh, nutritional supplements and shit that you should take, chlorophyll is one of them. So why in the world would we do a quick wash on our cannabis and then supplement with uh, some, you know, market brand chlorophyll when we can pull that from the plant that we're pulling it from and it is fresh and it is good and it has all these medical benefits and it's not something that's bottled or capsuled and sitting at your goddamn store so i feel like that's where a lot of that gets confused is you get these people that don't understand the why why chlorophyll so they're like no it's 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 cleaner without it mm -hmm. yeah but we're not talking smokable hash we're talking medicinal benefits of a whole plant extract extract versus you know, a cleaner version that we would like to use because why? Because for some reason, we all think that the more we take out of this, the better it is. Well, that's not always the case. I completely agree. 100%. I know it sounds like I've been very agreeing throughout this whole thing, but uh, we seem to see eye to eye on a lot of things here. Um so kind of back with uh, just to kind of educate some of the folks watching there, um, the intent, again, I, I love the way you said that uh, because there is a lot of ways to, to make your products and harvest, as you said. So I appreciated, you know, both those bits of information. But there was one thing I seen in chat too is the process of kind of making the RSO of, or uh, FICO, I, think I have to say both ways because there's always somebody. Uh, or um, alcohol extracts, like, yeah. Um, 
is uh, the the carb method uh like uh the way you can do it either decarbing not decarbing uh intently is 100 percent of like you said of the outcome of the product there so i feel a lot of times i don't like to decarb because a lot of times i am trying to keep it more towards the natural side yes it does i see somebody in chat say you can't make it without decarbonate well you can because it, there is the process of doing it before yes it kind of does creep up there into temperature to where but again you're trying to keep that as minimal as possible uh to retain most stuff but again as you kind of said sometimes you do want to take it a little further down the line with intent i kind of love that by the way because it's so true um so is there different methods you use in your decarbing methods because as uh you, there's there is a few different ways you can do it there and after you again i want to see what you say and then i'll, I'll tell you what i've learned as of late on that process to see it's the same i guess um you know it kind of just depends on what i'm trying to do because again like depending on the level that we do decarb it to we are either we're we're converting it right so what percentages do we want to convert so again goes back to that intent like do we want it to be more thca heavy do we want to hit that that solid level to where it is the max decarbed for the thca to remain do we want to take it over that to where we're now converting that THC into CBG and CBN because those also have very medicinal properties on their own separate from just THC. I mean, you get the CBN, CBG, like the CBN is supposed to make you sleepy. So if you're wanting to rest more because especially, you know, that's the other thing, like we're able to fight cancer while we're sleeping, like the body needs rest and it needs healthy food. And those are the things that are going to help us get better. So I don't know, again, it's a, there's so many different levels of decarb. It depends on what my purpose is. So if I want something that I want her to be able to sleep a little heavier, I'm going to decarb that pretty goddamn hard to kind of take it over that THC and into these other, these other ranges of, of conversion. Um, if I want it to be not so heavy and retain some of that THCA, I won't take it quite as far. Like we're getting so many different medicinal benefits from each. It doesn't matter what, how long you decarb it or how little, like in each step in here, there's different levels of different things that can be used for different situations. So yeah, again, it's like you have so much control just over the decarb situation to where we can manipulate the levels of everything depending on how much we decarb it or how much we don't. So, yeah, again, what are what are we decarbing it for? And that's kind of what I'll base how long or how I do it for. Uh, so that as I've kind of learned... It does. It uh, does. So what I've kind of learned as of late, and I kind of, it was one of the reasons I never did it when I made my hair. So again, I was worried about too much um, escaping. 
you know what I mean? Burning off turps and anything else that I can possibly save in the initial process. And then I talked to uh, a few people as of late, uh, notably uh, Mr. Toad, they kind of suggested um, kind of a more cooking like method with it, uh, which would be kind of like a sorbet method. So either kind of like boiling it into a bag uh, and bringing it up to temperature like that or baking it in a jar to kind of uh, entrap or encap encapsulate as much as possible. And I kind of love the sorbet method because I kind of figured whatever seeped out in that warming process would be gathered in you know, steam or oil form in the bag. And you can catch and add that, you know, back to the recipe. So, you know, I just thought that was an interesting method of uh, decarbing because most of the time you just think about kind of just laying it out on the sheet and, you know, kind of letting it bake for, you know, a, a period of time. But I had never considered, you know, that type of, of a cooking, more of a cooking method of bringing it up to temperature to decarboxylate it. So that's why I kind of asked if you, you know, heard of that method or. I've heard of that method. I've heard of a couple different methods. I have used a couple different methods. I've used, you can use a, a rice cooker, like the white rice cooking setting, like perfect for RSO. So that's one way to do it because that'll evaporate all that alcohol out and bring it to like the perfect decarb just by the already like white rice setting. Um, I've also used like a, a heated stir plate and, you know, one of the glass, uh, scientific glass things. And I have used a heated stir plate so that I'm getting that even distribution of heat and I'm able to control it at a smaller temperature. I'm able to stick a, a thermometer in there as it's going um, and kind of base my temperature on that so I can be a lot more accurate with where that temperature is. Uh, I've also, how else have I done this? Um, I've also, uh, I haven't gotten to yet, but I just recently got a vac oven and I want to actually try and play with vac oven for being able to evaporate some of that alcohol off and see what kind of conversion we can get with using a vac oven to be able to decarb and, uh, evaporate the alcohol off. So, I mean, we can get creative in so many different ways. I've seen the jar inside the crock pot with water surrounding it, sitting on top of the jar lid to keep it from that direct heat. Um, yeah, I mean, the great thing about it is there's so many methods you can use. You just got to look around your house. You know, it's not something that you have to find some fancy equipment or this is the only way you can do it. There's so many different ways to be able to accomplish these things that, you know, maybe somebody doesn't have a bag that they can boil it in. And so, okay, like look around your house, find something else and be, be innovative with what you have. Um, and that's what I recommend to people because, you know, especially people that don't really have the money to go out and buy a fucking back oven. You're not going to want to do that, you know? Uh, so yeah, like, there's so many creative ways at home that you can find to, to accomplish really the same thing um, with what you have, like being resourceful. So 
Yeah. Lots of methods, different temperatures, different times. Yep. So, uh, uh, I'd like to ask you about a couple questions from chat since, uh, they're being relentless and wanting to kind of dictate the interview a little bit. I can't even see the chat. Living. So what are they saying? So what the one couple questions is uh, one they asked a, a while ago was um, the type of ailment or cancer your friend slash patient uh, suffers from. And then also uh, another question about uh, juicing cannabis. Have you tried, used, or your thoughts on juicing? Yeah, uh, so Elaine has been battling stage four lung cancer that has moved into her brain as well. Um, and as far as juicing cannabis, I have juiced it. It's kind of a pain in the ass to juice, to be honest. You kind of need a really good juicer, and you need to put a certain, like a little bit of extra liquid through it. Um, huge benefits to juicing cannabis leaves though. I don't have my paperwork in front of me to give you all the different, like it contains this and this and this and this, but basically like we have to feed our, our plants such a good balanced diet of nutrient things that cannabis is so nutrient dense. Um, lots of beneficial things. Unfortunately, I haven't gotten fully into the uh benefits of juicing although i know there are a shit ton there um but that's something that i was going to start getting a little more into as far as the information side um fairly soon uh yeah off the top of my head i can't give you the details on the juicing it right now you know i kind of like research the shit out of something until i've got it all down and juicing is one of the newer ones that I've been trying. Um, but as far as seeing all the, the benefits to it thus far, I haven't played around with it enough myself personally to have the hands-on experience to be able to give much. I can say, fuck yes, it's insanely good for you. Um, from what I understand, it's really good for your stomach. Um, yeah, I'll have to get back to you on that. As soon as I do a little bit more research on the juicing, I'd be more than happy to hop back on here one day and kind of go over that once I have a little more information that I can share from my own hands-on experience. You know, I can go on and look all sorts of shit up, but the way I really operate is I have to see it for myself. I'm a hands-on learner. So I like to be able to try something and apply it and come up with my own, my own kind of, theory on what it's doing um yeah and juicing is absolutely something that i'm going to be doing this spring so we can get more into that uh as i have more information that i can offer i would love to um just for uh kind of conversations they i'm pretty sure it was vancouver cannabis grower i could be wrong that i interviewed that uh actually did juice a lot and basically, he suffered from fibromyalgia. Oh, thank you for the help on that. Uh, God, mouth could be a bit so that. But uh, amongst other things, and um, some of the things that 
that they ailed from was kind of uh, fingernails were kind of getting uh, thin, brittle, and weak. Uh, Again, uh, teeth were kind of loosening up and uh, getting bad as well. So uh, when they started juicing, immediately they noticed better stomach, as you've said there. They instantly noticed, well, not instantly, but within weeks, they noticed their teeth tightening up again and uh, nails thickening back up and hardening and joints all, uh, you know, not hurting as well. So all yeah. from juicing. Basically, they were juicing it, making ice cubes and just kind of using yeah. ice cubes and drinks. So so the way that I would like automatically, my brain says, well, that makes fucking sense. Because as a grower, I know that cannabis is very dependent on calcium. Therefore, if it's already got a lot of calcium in order for it to be able to grow and we're able to take it in that raw form, then all that calcium that we're feeding into the plant is then going to be available to the plant. So yeah, that would make a lot of sense that it would help your teeth. It would help your bones. It would help your nails. It would help your hair. Yeah. I mean, everything that we feed into our plants, uh, juicing it, we're literally just taking all of that in a consumable form. So yeah. That's awesome. So um, back to the cutting growth side of things, I guess. Um, what, what kind of things do you like to grow? Uh, what, what are some of your personal babies? Obviously, uh, hash is a passion. Does that weigh pretty heavy in the side of things or... What kind of dictates what you go, what goes to the garden? Obviously, you you know, uh, you said you help people with, uh, you know, what you're able to produce. Is there a fine line there between, uh, you know, making a good hash strain or what you want to keep around for medicine? Yeah, I, I grow primarily for the hash. Like one of one of the main things that has to be present in any plant that I keep in the garden is the ability to make hash out of it. Um, if it doesn't wash for me, I would rather have a plant in there that I could use to be able to utilize that form of extraction because that's the extraction that I prefer. So whereas some other people, you know, if they're outsourcing and getting BHO made, then it doesn't matter as much if they can have a, a, a strain that will wash with water hash because then they've got access to be able to still utilize that plant for hash. If they turn it into BHO or CO2 or any of those things. Um, I personally don't outsource. So since I do everything for myself, I don't have room for a plant that's not going to be able to allow me to include that extraction. So as I'm pheno hunting, I'll go through, I've found some amazing plants that I'm like, oh my God, you're so great. The only thing it doesn't do is allow me to make hash. Um, and unfortunately I'll let go of plants just for that simple factor, because I do want to be able to utilize as much of the plant that I grow as possible. So if I have something that I can't extract, say, you know, any of the premature buds or, or, or the trim, then I can't really use that to its full benefit 
you know, I'm not able to use as much of that plant in the way that I want. Um, so yeah, making hash is definitely a, a huge component for the strains that I'll keep in my garden. Um, but that's not to say that there's not a lot of very medicinal qualities from plants that won't hash, you know, uh, those are just not the ones that I'll keep in my garden because I do run a really small ship, uh, and I do have those requirements, um, to get the most out of everything that I've got. When you're working with such a small space, you kind of have to maximize not, not on like having a larger amount of everything. Like I have to really, like I said, intent, you know, the intent is to use every usable possible piece of the plant that I can to the best of my ability. Um, and that includes me making water hash. So so as of as you kind of start went with your growing there was the the love for extracts immediate or was that something that kind of came a little bit later i've always loved extracts uh when i was in utah i actually i Again, my brain starts working in a certain way and I look at things and I'm like, ooh, what is this and why? And so I remember when I had first started, you know, getting into helping these people like build their grows and whatnot, I was paying attention to what they were doing. Well, they would burn all their stocks. They would practically burn all their trim. At one point I was like, but wait, like, can't we use that for something? It's still part of the weed, right? And they're like, meh, whatever. I think about all the trim that has literally just been thrown in the fire over the years before we understood that we could actually use that for something other than butter. You know, uh, we would take down all these plants and I would make some of it into butter, but you can only have so much goddamn butter laying around, you know? And so a lot of that would go into the fire, uh, and just not used, like it was just trash. I remember the day that people realized that they could actually sell their trim to extractors. <sighs> like, oh my God, it was like the best thing ever. We were like, holy shit, just calculating all the many years that they didn't do that and how much money they lost was the funniest shit ever. But um, I always loved hash, you know, I was always interested, like, we used to trim over screens and we would just add it back to our bowls. But I would look at the trim and be like, well, can't we make that into something? You know, this has got to be good for something other than putting on bowls. Um, my uncle Jake, actually the one in Idaho, he traveled the world when he was young and kind of, you know, was able to, he actually met Mila when, when they were younger, he met her like in the Hindu mountains or some shit. Um, just traveling the fucking world, collecting seeds. Uh, so he got to go through all those areas that were, that were really, uh, prominent in the hash making. Uh, and so every time hash kind of came my way, I saw the benefit of it, but I couldn't get rid of it to save my life. Like I would get those pressed hash coins and it would just be my favorite treat ever. I was like, holy shit, this gets me so fucking high. This is great. And nobody would buy it. And I was like, what the hell? So I used to like give chunks away to people to be like, here, just, just try it. Trust me. You know, like, it's my understanding. This is kind of like what gets you high, you know, <laughs> isn't it like the sticky part? Like guys. 
Um, so I've always had a love of hash. The first hash that I ever made, uh, we used to call it Buick Tech. So we would take our keef, we would roll it up into a ball, we would wrap it in saran wrap, we would get wet newspaper, wrap it in wet newspaper, and then bake it. And pull it back out, check it, see how warm it is, check the softness, wet the newspaper again, bake it for longer. And then when we were confident that it was warm all the way through the middle, we used to take it outside and put it between two two by fours and we would run it over with the Buick. So we called it our Buick tech to flatten it out, you know? Um, and that's all that my uncle Jake even liked to smoke. Like he would smoke a little bit of weed, but his thing was like, no, fuck that. It's the hash. So he would just have his chunks of hash and whatnot. Uh, so yeah, I've always, always, always loved hash. Um, before hash was cool. I loved hash and was trying to promote hash because I saw the benefit of it. And I was just like, man, this gets me 10 times as high. Like, why don't you guys like it? But yeah, nobody would pay for it. It was so weird. Um, so yeah, I've always had a passion for hash. I've always seen, you know, I've always seen it as a concentrate and I don't know. I love it. I love it all, all of it. I love Tampa balls. I love old school press. I love, two-star melt like I don't give a fuck <laughs> like if there's a if there's good attention put in intention put into that hash by the person that made I've seen some of the shittiest looking hashes but the intention that the people put in to make that hash and the pride that they had being able to like share that hash with me like sometimes it's not about the quality that you're seeing you know of that end product of hash as much as the intention that went into it and the love and the pride and just like knowing that like this hash is really infused with a lot more than just weed. Um, yeah, I just love hash. All of it. All of it. <laughs> you know, uh, I was very much grinning when you were talking about uh, the Buick tech Uh I never thought about necessarily running it over uh, with the boards, but the other night I was trying, I actually was feeling out uh, uh, the chat and the panel during the weed nerd world. Uh, who is, who could remember basically the tech you were talking about baking it, baking up some Keith, pulling it out, same method, but in the paper, but the method I remember is uh tapping it with a hammer just kind of putting it out on the on the counter tap 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 free wedding putting it back in there and not too many people remembered that or uh shoe hash uh yep shoe hash <laughs> yes i used to put it in my shoe <laughs> oh goodness a lot of people were like, what? I was like, yeah, it's a thing. It's a thing. I can't believe, you know, a few people remembered, but a lot of people didn't know. They're like, what? Yeah, it's a thing. So, yeah, it made me it's smile. It's definitely a thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have a funny story about shoe hash, actually. It was in my earlier years. I think I was maybe like 18. It was maybe one of like the, one of the first like experiences with hash that I had. 
and I almost didn't have it. Uh, I was up in Seattle. I think I was 18 and there was a homeless man that was like, yo, you guys want some weed? And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I do. Uh, he pulls some weed out of one side of his shoe and I'm like, okay, that's kind of gross. <laughs> but then he pulled out this chunk of hash out of his shoe and I was just like, that's really gross. That came out of your shoe. And he was like, just fucking try it. And I was like, I mean, okay. It was fucking great. I got so high at the ripe old age of 18 off of some homeless man's shoe hash. Yeah, that's what I learned. You could you could make shoe hash. But uh, yeah, again, the pride that that homeless man had in this hash because he'd actually made it his goddamn self off of whatever shake he had from the dime bags that he'd been selling. It was great. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, kind of gross, thing but kind of fun story. <laughs> it is. Another thing that you keep on mentioning, and again, I, I think it's awesome, is the word intention. Um. I think that's that has a lot to be said with the the use and, and cultivation as far as that goes. I think that has a lot to having good intention to go in and cultivate. But um, I never really realized the value in the intent of when smoking. To be honest with you, until I kind of um, I talked to. Hoto herb and um, basically uh, before I kind of get into what what he said we, we all kind of get guilty of like blaming the cannabis for no longer working I think you know we oh man smoked the shit out of that and that just built up a tolerance and I, I kind of thought there was a lot to that myself until I spoke with Hoto. And, and during that episode, uh, I kind of, he's got such a, a calming tone to his voice and the way he speaks. Uh, good I friend of mine, by the way. Man. Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. I asked him, I'm like, so you seem to be, you always seem to be in such a good place. Do you, do you meditate? And he said, you know, I meditate every time I consume cannabis. And he kind of went over the parallels of, you know, kind of wanting to just let your mind relax and let go of things and intent, you know, the, the intent of inhaling, holding the breath, exhaling was in, indeed a form of meditating. And then he took it even further that he said that he, he chose to consume outdoors whenever possible. So during the process of you know consuming, breathing, the bird passing by, you know, whatever the tree swaying could help take the mind away. And in that, I thought you're 100% right, 100% right. And 
And it kind of changed the way I, I consume cannabis because of that. And back to relating back to, you know, the, we kind of wore out that strain. I think that's because we're indeed, we're not smoking with the proper intent. Uh, a lot of times uh, cannabis users, and it's not all the time, but there's a, a, a majority that consume at home and that's usually where, where the the wear down of the strain, we'll say, the buildup takes place. And I think that's just because of the intent or and in not smoking correctly. You know what I mean? If you don't change how you're smoking, you sit here, do what you're doing all day. You smoke and you smoke and you smoke. Wow, this shit isn't working. I need to smoke something else. You know what I mean? I do a dab. Well, you've never necessarily left your environment. You know what I mean? How do you how do you expect it to have a different effect? So after I spoke with him, I kind of tried it. You know what I mean? It wasn't, and I found out most times it isn't the strain. You know what I mean? If I do take in mind what he said, I walk away from my situation. You know what I mean? Just walk away from whatever I'm doing, go outside and kind of just let my mind wander, kind of do take in that meditation value of it. And then got back to what I was doing. I noticed most times I was fucked up when I came back to doing what I was doing smoking the same strain that I, you know, smoke would normally smoke all day, but not leave my environment, my bubble. You know what I mean? So I know it, it's, it wasn't the cannabis. It was the intent, how I was wanting to use it. You know what I well, mean? Well, it's, it's a, the, instead of building up a tolerance to the cannabis, you're building up a tolerance to your surroundings and the way that you're consuming it. It sounds like, you know? Yeah, that's absolutely. So yeah, I I can definitely appreciate the you know your your uh, attitude that you know being mindful in life and having intent on whatever you're doing uh, will take you so much further in life uh, for sure. I definitely appreciate that shit. Well, I love that story you just told because yeah, I haven't I haven't exactly necessarily thought of it that way to where if you sit in the same place same time same shit over and over and over just changing your strain is not what you need it's so yeah no i, I love that you just told that story because yeah change of environment all of a sudden it changes everything it's not just the different weed you know yeah that's a great advice for people well i all i did was kind of re re Gurgitate my version of uh, Oto's wisdom there. So well, he's definitely. I can't take full credit. <laughs> well, he's definitely got a lot of a lot of things that him and I agree on. He's got some great uh, some great views of things. Um, and yeah, I love that story. He is definitely one of the guys that does think about things like that, and I think it's important. Um, yeah, he does things with intent for sure. Like, that's why his gardens are always so great. Like, I love 
smoking his weed like the the love that he puts into it it's like you can you can you can feel it you can taste it you can sense it you know like yeah it's all very important but great guy great story i like that so kind of back to i know you probably your least favorite subject because you have to talk about it so much but it's one of the things you're passionate about how did it progress from you know uh <laughs> the Buick hash days to a winning awards and being as talented as you are with Ash. Uh, there's there's got to be a lot of A to B there. Tell me how, you know, you progress with your, your passion. There definitely is. Um, so started with the Buick Tech. That was great. Uh, and then along came Dabs uh, at the time let's call it pre-dabs because I think, you know, some of us that are old enough and have been around, like we remember the butane hash oil or the honey oil, we used to call it. And we'd have that friend that would have the jar of the liquid and we were, you know, blasting fucking PVC tubes, not even glass, like it evolved to at one point, but like, oh yeah, you pack it in this PVC tube and you run some shit into it and put it in a jar then you smoke it like there was no purging there was no nothing but it was that was almost one of those things that when it came around like yeah it gets you fucked up but it was just the diversity of it I think that was so interesting to me to see you know that that extraction method um it was new at the time but it wasn't really new it just wasn't out there very much like people didn't see the benefit of it because we didn't have dab rigs which are designed to smoke the oil so instead you know we were smoking it on like safety pins with cups over it or just dripping a couple drops of honey oil onto our bowls or i used to use it to seal my joints um that really interested me because like I said, it was, it was more so the scarcity of that. Um, and I was interested because like I said, I got sick of butter. I got sick of working at these places and they would either burn the trim or I would talk them into making some butter. And those were the only options. And I was just like, how, what else can we do with this? Uh, so I had a friend that had told me about the honey oil extraction. We could, we could do that. We just need the PVC pipes. <laughs> so kind of the evolution of hash is really what got me to where I'm at. It's just that, that interest in like, well, what else can we do with it? Like, what else can I do with this? And then we come up with something else and it's like, Ooh, Ooh, what else though? So the diversity alone was just fascinated me, you know? Um, so when I moved to Washington, uh, it was like a year before they went legal. It was like a year to year-ish after dabs really hit mainstream and people really kind of were trying to fine-tune that with their open blasting. And, uh, you know, dab nails came out and they had all these different versions. So again, it was like the diversity of it. Like, ooh, now we have new toys to smoke this out of. That's really interesting. What is that for? How do I use that? And so the constant evolution of it, I think, is really what kept me entertained and so interested. Uh, 
So when I moved to Washington, I was going to start to learn how to make butane hash and was like, okay, this is great. So I learned to open blast and kind of got the hang of that. And then the closed loop systems came out and it was like, Ooh, what is this? This is neat. This is a new way to do something with the, this same plant, another extraction. So fucking intriguing. Right. Um, so I started actually, uh, on my quest by learning how to make BHO. Um, unfortunately the situation that I was in, the guys that I was kind of working with, they, they wanted it to be a them thing. And so I would always get pushed to the side a little bit. So one day I just got super frustrated with it. And I was like, fuck this. I heard I can use a washing machine and I can wash this and I can make a different kind of hash. So if you guys are doing this and you don't want me to participate, fine, you're not doing this. And they're like, no. You know, so I was like, cool, I'm going to do that. Then this is my thing. We're, we're established on that. Right. Like that's your thing. This is my thing. Uh, so when that happened, it was kind of just like my mission to figure out my own little sector. I was like, fuck, you guys are doing the edibles. You guys want to take credit for the flowers. You want to take credit for the BHO. What can I do? That's mine that I can put my cute little brain to work and figure this shit out and have a different product that's not stepping on anybody else's toes or the whole like, no, that's what we're doing. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be innovative and try and figure out a different method that nobody else at the time even wanted anything to do with. So I bought my first washing machine and I bought my first set of bags and I went through all of the different, very, very, very little, little amount of information was available on how to actually make water hash. I didn't even know what the fuck it looked like for the longest time. Like I, all I had to go with was all the stuff that I'd seen in person, which was all the black, the press, the, you know, I'd get like the crumbly bubble hash and shit like that. Um, but I'd never actually seen in person, like clean full melt hash. Uh, so the first time that I, I started to produce that and kind of came out with this product, I actually did two different two different runs to start. And that's when I kind of learned the difference between different plants and the different hash that they actually have the ability to make. It's not about what I can do with them. It's about what the plants can do with what I do with them. So my first example of that, I think is also what just really intrigued me. It was the fact that I had these two different plants. I washed one of them and it came out really white, but it was like, crumbly you know it it wasn't it wasn't opaque or it wasn't uh translucent at all and I was like okay well this is cool it looks like the old school shit except for it's much lighter in color uh because I did it under cold temperatures so it was really different and then the next strain that I ran as I dried that one out I noticed like a very very noticeable difference that this was actually like translucent and it looked like little like clear balls and I was like what the fuck did I do different you know <laughs> and which one of these is right because I had no idea so I got these two very different products I have no idea what's what I just know they're very different even though I use the same exact process and that alone was so fascinating to me that it really just kept me very involved and so that's when I started you know doing my different mixes. I tried pulling my plants at different times. I tried drying it. I tried doing it wet. And I just started doing all these experiments. 
uh, to come up with the different things. And I was just entertained by it. It's something that um, it's, you're always going to learn something new. And for a brain like mine, that just kind of keeps going. Like I lose interest in stuff really quickly, but there's so much diversity to cannabis and especially to hash, um, even just in water extraction, like we're using one plant, one method, but if you change anything up, either within the plant's life cycle of when you're actually processing that, or if you change anything up within the process of actually making the hash, you can come up with such different variations. And that alone just interests the shit out of me. Um, so I think that's kind of really what got me from making the old school, like great pressed hash to shitty ass sift that was great at the time to honey oil which was unpurged bho which was fucking great at the time but that evolution of everything to finally come up with a product that like especially now that i have the the names and the understanding and you know i've seen so much goddamn hash i have now can explain pretty much any hash on the planet and how did you come up with this? What in the process did you change to do this? What within the plant's life did you change to do this? Um, it just keeps my brain really busy. And with a lot of hands-on experience, uh, I can, I can kind of identify all that stuff, you know, and I still continue to come up with new things all the time. Um, and it's ever evolving. So I mean, cannabis really is the one thing in my life that has kept me interested because it's kept me intrigued and it's given me enough variations in every single thing that like, I don't think I'll ever get sick of it. I mean, you change one thing, you can change the product you're looking at. And then when we go back to that now, I've been applying like the intent to that product. Okay. So we can make all these different products, but what are the benefits of these specific products? So if I change this one element, what am I doing to actually change the end product of that hash? And what is the effect that that hash has versus say a different hash, which was done this way. So it's just ever evolving. Like I, I just can't get bored with it. Every time I think I know everything, I find something else out and I'm just fully aware that I will never know everything. Um, and that's what I love about it. Fucking love that, you know, keeps me from getting bored and complacent and uh, keeps my creativity uh, intact, which is really important to me because part of the passion that I have is the ability to be creative with what I'm doing. Um, so I kind of do things my own way and I don't expect anybody else to understand it, but it's almost like an artist trying all these different forms and mediums uh, to be able to produce whatever they want. You know, cannabis is just like that. So. So kind of flip it around a little bit uh, about from the normal question that you get, I'm sure the normal question you get is uh which strains are the ones that are the real givers that you like to work with but um as a super talented uh hash artist i think you kind of understand that um it's kind of the way you approach a product uh the intent like you said uh, especially in the earlier days where you're talking about where it was more of a donation of, you know, trim and whatnot. It wasn't 
<laughs> oh, I get this cultivar. Uh, sometimes you have to just deal the card that's handed to you. Uh, is there, do you, how do you judge the material? Do you uh, change tactics by uh, whatever material you get? Do you look at it and you say, oh, this should be sifted? This should be, you know, this is a good water extraction. This one should be, you know, maybe a, a hard hydrocarbon uh, extraction uh, or all, my, all of the above, you know, it should be pressed into rosin. How do you value the material? How do you approach the material that you, you know, your hand? Um, really, it's more of a hands-on situation. I know we've got lots of little tricks that we show online, like the little jar tech to try and see if the strain washes. That can only give us so much information. Um, the way that I gauge everything is I literally do a run. Like I do a wash. And if that wash comes out a certain way, I'm able to kind of evaluate what that resin looks like. I think it all just kind of comes down to like understanding your resin and working with enough different variations of it to kind of just get the feel for like, okay, I feel like this is going to make better BHO, you know, or I think that this dry sift would be better as rosin because it's not very melty. Well, the best way to find that out is you actually have to do it, you know? Um, so I'll take different strains through the different processes and just by the process of elimination, uh, I'm able to see what is what. Um, sometimes there's strains involved that maybe don't wash so well and we understand that, but with all the different crosses, all the different phenos, all the different, like, it's hard to say, you know, like, oh, what washes best? Okay, well, I can tell you a strain that washes best, but you could get a, you could get a, a, a clone of that that maybe doesn't wash so great because it's got different components than the clone that your buddy had that he was doing that was great. Um, so, I mean, it just varies so much. It also varies from grow to grow, you know, because different growers grow it differently. And so you're also going to have different takes on that. So the best way to really establish like what, what type of hashes is best to make is you just have to run it that first time, you know, I'll wash it. And if it doesn't wash well, if it just kind of goes through the bags, you know, I know that it's got small heads or it's too volatile. So a lot of those heads are, are bursting. Um, and so for something like that, I would come to the conclusion that this is best for BHO because we're not able to collect these heads, but that doesn't mean that we can't extract those with butane or CO2, you know, um, even an alcohol extract, because we don't need the full head in order to use those extractions. Um, so that's the easiest way to know, like, if you don't want to make this into what you think you can, you can turn it into something else, but you never know until you actually wash it. So I'll always do a test run on everything. Um, I'll do like the jar tech on a couple things just to see, because sometimes like you'll have a plant that just doesn't really release anything for whatever reason. Um, but even in that small little test jar tech, like you can't really tell the size of the heads in there. So even if you do get some heads that fall off, if they're smaller than a 25 micron bag, or if they're, you know, smaller than the 45, like 
it's not going to be a great water strain, but you're still going to see some of that resin in that test batch. The only way to really get a really good feel for, for if something's going to be good for whatever type of hash is to do kind of like a, like a full run of it to where you can actually test it. So sometimes I can get like a little feel, you know, but yeah, you just got to run it that first time. Even when I run it, I run it differently. So like the difference between full melt versus rosin, like I have two different processes when I'm washing for one versus the other, even though you take uh, the water hash and turn it into rosin, you would think that it would be the same process, but then you just tack on that, that rosining it at the end where you bag it and press it. Right. Um, but I even have different techniques that come in the middle, depending on whether I'm going to make it into rosin or whether I'm going to try and make it into full melt. There's certain steps that I either add or take out, uh, depending on what my end product is. Um, but yeah, like at the very first, like the only thing you can really do is wash it that first time to see. Nice. Thank you for that uh, that answer there. So, um, again, kind of back to the intention side of things. Um, I just kind of scrolled a little bit there. I got some goopy shit going on in chat. <laughs> Why um, can't I see the chat? What are they saying? Fill me in. All good things. They're just kind of talking. Well, the, right now it's it's a oh man, I, I get DOS attacked a lot in there. There's a a webcam service invading chat currently. <laughs> uh, is is the problem in chat right now? And you can see chat uh, actually. Um, kind of relating to that, I used to suggest you know, and then in the interviews. You know that you can look chat you can watch chat you can bring up another device you can see chat like that but it can i've noticed during a few episodes it tends to to sway you know what i mean when i'm trying to get that one-on-one -on -one story and chat's throwing out a million questions it can tends to deviate you know what i mean a little bit there yeah so um the audience can be very leading <laughs> Yes, the way they've kind of sidelined me a little bit currently. I should be <laughs> looking at you. <laughs> uh, now, back to what I was trying to think here. Um, oh, oh, I remember my question now. So, with the love of your hash, and um, and again, tell me if I'm, oh, uh, you know, overstepping here, but. What is the level that uh, you're kind of producing hash for? Um, is it more of, uh, you know, for the love of making hash or is it becoming more of a, uh, a career, I guess, if you will, more of a nine to five? You know, I, basically I'm, I'm asking, are you keeping it more towards the passion side or uh, the, the income side of things? Because I would hate for, you know, something you're so passionate about, once it becomes not so fun anymore, then it's not, you know what I mean? It takes a lot of the fun out of it. It, just, it takes the heart out of it once it becomes, I, I got to do this. 
So I, you know, are you making it for, you know, the quality, the love of it, or uh, is the intent to kind of make it a nine to five at some point, you know, just kind of a larger scale? If you had to guess, just knowing me as long as you have, what would your guess be to that? I would say most definitely the quality side of things and keep it in your heart. Yeah, I actually don't wash for other people very often. Um, I could, I absolutely could. I have people reach out to me all the time asking me if I'll make cash for them. Very, very, very rarely will I take on a project of somebody else's. And typically when I do, yeah, it's nice to get paid for it, but there's also certain other qualifications that I have in order to run somebody's stuff. Um, all goes back to the intent. Like, are they a good person? Uh, are they just doing this to pump out a bunch of money? Uh, or are they actually helping people? Is there a reason that I'm going to take time out of the things that I'm doing to run hash for somebody else just to make them a bunch of money and make myself like a little portion, you know? Um, for me, it's literally just, it's, it's like my art. It's what I love to do. And I don't get joy out of running somebody else's material, uh, because I, I have nothing to do with how that was grown. I have no control over the love that was put into that. I have no say in when that was harvested or how, or so I just, I don't have any control over the outcome per se of that hash being able to get the most out of that plant that I can. I mean, I'll definitely get the most out of what's provided to me. Um, but it takes a lot of it, it's, it's like taking away the first part of the equation for me and just like, there's that. And like, that's not where I get the joy, you know, uh, same reason that I don't keep other people's cuts in my garden. Um, I'll run other people's cuts every once in a while. Like if I, if something happened and I wasn't able to have enough or, you know, sometimes I'll have people that like want to gift me something, like it means a lot to them. I can see that they're like, it means something to them for me to run this cut that they've provided to me out of the kindness of their heart, whether it's that they're proud of it or they get some sort of like, benefit to like helping me per se like oh you needed another plant and I provided that and I'm really like super stoked to help you with that like those are the only circumstances that I'll really run somebody else's cut um and it's kind of the same with like making other people's hash like there's a certain process that is is what I get the joy out of and it's so much more than just money and good hash um, it's that need for my little brain to see it from start to finish. So I take this little tiny fucking seed and I can do so much with it, you know, like so many variations that I can apply to this one seed to try and come out with the best fucking outcome that I possibly can. And that's where I get my joy from. So, yeah, I mean, if I was to just start washing a bunch of hash for people or taking on a bunch of clients and you know, using my skills to the best of my ability to pump out a bunch of product for other people, I would have fucking quit years ago. 
Like, no, thank you. Uh, honestly, making cash is kind of slave labor. I don't want to do it. I, I don't do it for that. I don't do it for quantity. I do it for the fact that it's my therapy, you know, like the gratification that I get after spending so much time on not only just growing the seed, but let's take it back a step farther than that. How about acquiring the seeds? Like my entire seed collection, I'd say about 95% of the seeds in there. I have a backstory to each one of those seed packs. I can tell you where it came from. I can tell you who it came from. I can tell you how I met them. I can tell you where I was standing when I got them. And there's all like these amazing stories that are tied in with each of these seeds that I've collected. So really that's where it starts. It doesn't even start from the seed pack. It starts from acquiring that seed pack and having that that emotional charge behind it of like, where did I acquire this from? And what does it mean to me? You know, so it just adds so much more to like the, just the mental therapy that I need and that the interest and being able to see it, not just, like I said, not just as a seed, but like, as I'm growing it out, like having all these wonderful memories of where that came from and what this genetic is actually tied to personally for me. You know, even if it's just this Joe, nobody gave me these seeds, but he explained to me that he got this one from there. And there's this amazing story and there's this passion. He's so fucking excited to give me this seed and watch me grow it to fruition. Like there's a charge behind that, you know, and it's just so, I, I guess that's where the passion comes in, you know, is it's like, there's a whole story to every plant that I grow and it's not just somebody's cut and it's not just a dollar amount that's coming out of that. And it's not just knowledge that I'm great gaining about the strain. It's like every single plant has this individual meaning to me that allows me to do the work that I do and have that personal gratification. So, Yeah. I, I don't ever want to pump out just volume hash. I think that's why I've kind of leaned towards the educational side of things um, because I could get investors. I could go large scale like a lot of these people do. I could set up my own huge hash lab and supply all these different people. I don't want to do that. Like people have asked me, are we going to see Gendo hash everywhere? Fuck no. But then I'm like, but wait, Maybe, but how would I accomplish that, right? Well, I accomplished that by teaching other people. So you're not going to see hash that I made, but you may see hash that I was able to teach somebody else to make and influence them to be able to provide the same quality or even just close that I do, you know, and like teaching them about the intent and teaching them how to kind of like just respect the hash, respect the plant. You know, that's where, that's where the good stuff comes from. It comes from people that do have that respect, which I am a strong believer that our plant deserves and let's take it even clear back to the whole recreational situation. It's one of the reasons I don't like recreational, like there is zero respect for the fucking plant. All of a sudden it's just an assembly line. I don't like that. I, I feel like it's doing an injustice to our plant. Again, is it necessary so that we can have it available to a larger amount and a larger group of people that wouldn't have had access to it before. Yeah. But that's just not where I live. You know, that's not my personal area of 
of what I want to be involved in. Um, so I'd rather, you know, teach people like teach man to fish type of situation. Um, yeah, so you'll never see mass produced hash by me. I, it's always small batch. It's always something new. It's always something that I can be very proud of and that I can really get joy out of providing to the patients. So, yeah. Awesome. So as far as the teaching uh, side of things, if somebody wanted to learn from uh, amazingly talented hash artists like yourself how do they get in touch with you how how does that process work is there youtube videos is there classes you offer or you just have to be blessed to be in the right place at the right time uh how does one get a little bit of the knowledge from it well that is actually a project that i'm currently working on putting together uh at the moment, I would say right place, right time, catch me in the right mood and ask the right question. Um, I'm happy to answer questions as long as it's like respectful, you know, um, not saying that like asking questions is not respectful, but I'll tell you what sucks so bad is opening my messages and not even getting a hello and just getting bombarded with questions. You know what I mean? And it's like, hi hello, I'm a person. I don't really want to answer your firing squad of questions right now. You know, like I can't write an individual book for everybody. Um, if somebody takes the time to educate themselves, like at this moment in time, someone takes the time to educate themselves with whatever means they have. And they want to come to me respectfully and understand that like my time is valuable as well. I am more than happy to answer questions for people. Um, it's very rare that I won't answer questions, but I'll tell you what, if someone just like fires a bunch of questions at me and there's zero appreciation, it's just an ex expectation. Like I'm fucking Google. I'm going to skip you, you know? Um, and to kind of combat that, like, I am going to be working on classes. Um, I'm going to be working on some YouTube classes. I just recently got my little personal hash lab kind of redone so that it looks nice on camera. Um, so that I can function in there kind of nicely and be able to have the room to explain different things and show my processes. Um, I am going to find a way to, I haven't decided what platform I'm going to provide that on, um, but I definitely do need to be able to make some money on it. You know, I've spent the last 10 years giving out all my information for free and it's great and I absolutely love it. But it makes it really hard for me to continue what I'm doing because if I'm taking all this time and instead of scaling up to do larger production, I'm instead scaling down and funneling a lot of my time into educating people to be able to do their own small extraction scale. Um, so I'm definitely going to find a way to either put it on like a Patreon type of situation or you know, a website where I can maybe cater it to like the medical side, which will be different. Again, it's gonna, I want to kind of categorize it with intent. Like we keep going back to, so what, what is the intent? What do you want from me? Right? Like when we bring it down to the very basic, I can look at somebody and say, what do you want from me? Pick one medical, basic shit, recreational. You want award-winning shit. Like there's so many different 
levels of this and I can kind of cater to all of them. I'm just really trying to figure out the best way to structure these so that it's the most beneficial and so they can really, you know, maximize my, my time and people's ability to get that information for me the way they need. Um, but yeah, all of that will be in the works. Um, yeah, that's like, that's like one of my biggest projects that I'm working on this whole summer is, uh, being able to put together some of these instructional videos. It's just structuring them. That's hard because my brain just is like, where do I start? You know, well, it all starts from the seed that I gathered in Amsterdam at Sensi Seed Bank in 19, you know, like, I don't know. So I'm figuring out how to fucking structure this. Um, in addition to that, I'm also trying to figure out a way to be able to provide like what's the number one success factor in hash genetics. So I can teach somebody all of the processes that I fucking know. And if they have shitty genetics, it's not going to matter. I'm teaching them every goddamn thing I know. If you don't have the right genetics, it doesn't matter. So that's another thing I'm trying to figure out how to incorporate in there. But yeah, it's all in the works. It's constantly evolving. Um, classes will be coming soon. I'd like to do some remote classes to where I can like go and like give the class somewhere else. Um, I've thought about taking on like, you know, maybe two people at a time as a more like hands-on apprentice type situation and do say like, a four or five day class to where we can actually start hands-on from the actual harvesting to the full process and running it through that. But yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how to structure all of it and figure out the best way to give people access to that. Lots of different options. So So I greatly appreciate uh, your uh, your your tack there to teach versus kind of scaling up. It definitely may not be as fruitful, though. I hope it is. Um, it's not, but <laughs> it, it's definitely not. But again, it's more over kind of what you want to achieve. I yeah, guess. what's fruitful? Would I be happy with a fatter bank account? Fuck yeah, I would. But if it's at the expense of my internal happiness and what drives me to continue doing what I'm doing, then how long can I possibly pull that money in when I hate what I'm doing and want to quit? So it's like a it's a give-take situation. Like I sacrifice some of the dollar amount to keep the quality of life. And sometimes quality of life is not dependent on dollar amount. So it's about finding kind of a happy medium for me. Like I clearly need to pay my bills and eat and take care of myself. But a lot of the taking care of myself is my ability to do what I do the way that I do it. And so it's like, I can't sacrifice that. It's a balancing act. It really is. And I still haven't found that sweet spot for me just yet. Um, I shouldn't be struggling financially. I literally have taught so many people to make hash and I've made this much money off of it and I don't mind it. But at the same time, like if I don't have the money to continue to do what I do, then who the fuck can I teach to do anything if I don't have the means to do so? 
So I'm trying to find that happy medium, but it's really hard to like add money in there when it comes to like, this is like my heart and soul. You know, this isn't just a job for me. Like it's never been a job. Every time someone's offered to make it a job, I'm like, <laughs> uh-uh. but I definitely want to find that happy medium. Um, with the hash classes and the growing classes and stuff, the other thing about that is like, I want to be able to intentionally fuck shit up to be able to show people how to correct it. But in order to do that, that costs me money. It costs me money to be able to fuck up a bash at hash to show you how to recover at least 50% of it. You know what I mean? But I want the ability to be able to do that so that I can provide that experience so that when somebody finds themselves in a situation like that, they're able to correct it. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to find a balance between, uh, between all of this so that I can still continue to do what I do and make a little bit money off of it and be able to teach people like, fuck, everybody deserves good hash. Right. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And again, I think, again, I kind of respect the angle you, you take it, um, cause I can relate in so, so many ways. Um, but uh, this is the way I kind of see it is, um, yeah, you probably could be a little bit more happier with the upscaling, which may ultimately lead to, uh, the, the downfall, you end up hating what you love because it's a job. Um, that's a that's a real thing and then it kind of comes down to why you do it and uh i think you will leave more of a legacy uh teaching you know what i mean than upscaling uh upscaling people will uh remember and appreciate as long as you can produce you know what i mean but on the teaching side of things people will value your mark for a long time and teach and pass it along the, your teachings that they would learn will be taught and remembered for a long time. So there's a lot more weight. Uh, and again, it depends on where you find the value uh, in what you're doing. And again, I can greatly relate because, and I, again, I am, I'm right there in that struggle with you. Uh, in the fact that uh, I did this show now for, I just passed my second year mark. And uh, all, all out of the love of doing it, you know what I mean? Zero intention on ever wanting to make a dollar on this. And I, hate, I still hate the thought of making a dollar on it, to be honest with you. It's still for the love of it. And but unfortunately, as time went on, machines, equipment started taking the shit on me as, you know, life put a squeeze on me as well. And I had to, you know, realize, well, it's either, you know, sink or swim at this point. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. as much as I hated it, I started to kind of monetize it. And I'm in a great fear of that, to be honest with you. The one thing I felt that I loved about this project all this time and I, I warned everybody about it you know the whole time was I don't want your money I want this to be a passion project so whenever you know 
time's up, I can walk away from this and feel good. I can show up when I want to because I feel good about wanting to do this. But once you start taking money, like you're saying, it becomes a job. You have to show up because you've took the money. You know what I mean? It's now it's now it's not just because you you love it. You're not producing because you love it. You're, you're showing up because you're kind of guilted into it because of the other value in it. So that's I, I, I'm well, on that precipice right there and here's, <laughs> that you're here's talking about. Thing, like it's great hearing that come out of your mouth as well because that helps me to like kind of stop and analyze exactly what you're saying and exactly how I'm feeling. And part of it comes to like, we need to be able to, to retrain our brains to think of that in a different way. You know, uh, the only thing that I'm doing by not monetizing what I'm doing is giving myself the ability to do better. So it doesn't have to be a job. It comes back to that intent. Is my intent to get fucking filthy rich so I can buy a bunch of cars? No is my intent to be able to keep up with the technology to be able to allow myself to make these mistakes that it's going to take in order to train people how to work through those mistakes that costs me money. So the longer that I don't get money for what I'm doing, the less effective I'm actually able to be with the people that are looking up to me to be able to provide this information for them. So a lot of it comes into this, this way of thinking. And I think that a lot of us cannabis people, like our a true medical cannabis people, like we, we were almost trained and brainwashed into the fact of like, no, we're helping sick people. And to have a good heart, you can't charge for that. Well, guess what? If I can't pay to grow your medicine that I'm not charging you for, you get this once. Cause I can't fucking grow it again. Cause I don't have the money to, you know, yet if I'm getting money and I'm not a greedy person, like I'm not doing it for personal gain, but there's a big difference between wanting to monetize so that I can fucking like, just fill my goddamn bank account and just be slobbish about it. Or the fact that I realize that the more money that I have, the more I'm able to help people, the more resources I'm able to procure and provide. And without money, I can't do that. And in the meantime, well, the good people are out here taking no money. Guess what? The other shit bags are taking all of the money. And so now they have all of the resources. They have all of the fucking growth. And we're over here humble as shit like well we're broke as can be now we can't help you anymore because we didn't make any money or i can't help you to the ability that i would like to be able to because i can't afford to because i have some idea that i should be providing all this for free because i'm for the patients like it's a really fucked up mentality that a lot of people have been trapped in it's this cycle you know like we have to have money in order to provide you the best like, I need a new fucking set of bags. If I can't buy it, what am I going to do for you? If I need to re-up on dirt for my goddamn plants and I can't do it, how am I going to teach you shit? And if I'm so fucking broke that I'm putting all my money towards that and eating goddamn ramen noodles like a lot of growers, raise your hand out there. We get it. We eat the fucking cheap shit because our money's going to our plants. Well, guess what? If I'm not healthy enough, 
to be able to fucking take care of those plants, let alone turn around and teach people. Like what benefit is that giving us to have that humble mentality of if I take money, this makes it a job. So it all goes about intent. You know, I don't need money because I'm doing it as a job. I need money so I can provide more to the people that I'm trying to provide to and also provide for myself. And I have a family. I should be able to provide for myself and my family and everybody else, you know? And so I think it's just a lot of it is we have, we have these conflicting points of view of taking money versus helping somebody that's a patient, right? I don't know. The way I see it is if a cancer patient can fork out hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars, why am I expected to do everything for free to help them when nobody's helping me and they're willing to pay this other price? Like, it's about just understanding the way that this flow works, you know, like without an income, without incoming flow, I can't do anything for you anymore. Simple as that. I just don't have the means to. It's not that I don't want to. It's not that my passion is gone. It's that I'm fucking broke. I'm fucking stressed. I'm unhealthy because of all of it. And yet here I am struggling to help keep everybody else healthy and happy. Like at some point we need to remember that we need to take care of ourselves as well. And it's important to monetize things. The other thing I've realized, and I hate to fucking say it, but people appreciate shit that they pay for. If it's free, they don't fucking appreciate it. Do you know how much appreciation I get on a scale of like one to 10? Like four. I get people that are like so super grateful, but then I get people, like I said, firing squad of questions. Like it's just my responsibility to be like, I'm not your personal Google here. You know what I mean? Like I'm not. And people don't respect that. The second that I start charging you for the information I have, you're going to number one, pay attention more. You're going to number two, fucking appreciate it because you took your hard earned money and decided that this was valuable enough for you to be able to put money into this. And that is what gives it value is the value that somebody will pay for it. If the value is that they'll pay nothing for it, what's the value? So unfortunately, that's kind of how the human brain works too, is people are predispositioned to understand that if I pay you for this, I value it more because that's my hard-earned dollars before it. If I expect everything for free, I'm valuing you at what I expect to pay for it. So that's kind of my opinion on that. And that's really like this rampant thing that I just, it's always plagued me is the whole like fucked up way of thinking and how people want to determine like what's okay to take money on and what's not, where's greed versus necessity. And where would we cross from like necessity to don't I deserve to be able to have nice things sometimes too? Like I work really fucking hard. Why, you know, like. So, yeah, I think everybody kind of needs to, like, put themselves in check in that situation as well and realize that sometimes, like, it's okay to take money. That's why everybody works. You know, it doesn't have to be work because we're taking money. It can be that we're getting paid because we should be. And without getting paid, how the fuck are we supposed to sustain, let alone improve and continue to step forward to continue to provide for people? So, sorry, that's my big spiel on that. <laughs> I, I appreciate it and uh, needed to hear some parts of that. And some of it, I, I feel the same way. That's for sure. Um, 
one thing that you said right off the bat that I agreed with was, and it was the feeling that I had right off the bat when I made that decision because the decision is still fresh, like last week. You know what I mean? And it's still leaving a horrible taste in my mouth. And what you said just now made me feel a ton better for one. But there was that initial feeling there when I decided I was going to publicly say it because I've always kind of made it a point not not to. You know what I mean? There's just, Mm -hmm. like you said, I just feel it should be free. And so when I when I made that announcement that I was going to and I seen people kind of throw some support behind it. A, just that and alone, just the effort, just the, you know what I mean, was so powerful because as I talk about a lot every night, you know, I end up show with the random acts of kindness thing. But to see, you know, the random act of somebody kind of stepping in line and going, hey, I kind of believe in what you're doing. And just that, that effort right there reinvigorated and just kind of gave me so much fuel you know it wasn't even the monetary thing about it it was more effort the value stepping in yeah and when i that just kind of lit my mind on fire and then i went to the next phase of what you said i've done this with what i've gotten by on now i can do this you know what i mean and my mind went immediately to you know i can take this to new heights i can you know expand the dream i don't have to necessarily feel that it is something that i have to put in the bank i can i can re fucking reinvest this into the new dream and i definitely have it, it reinvigorated me in a lot of ways, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, as well as widened the dream, gave me new reasons to want to do it, new passions. And, you know, there, there's some things, some dreams I've kind of let out of the bag already. And there's, you know, one bigger dream that, uh, that I hope to really achieve with this whole thing that keeps back with the initial goal of, you know, wanting to give back and doing it because my heart's on the right reason. And it will be only because of the help. You know what I mean? To achieve, think I could achieve that, it, and maybe, but it would be a lot easier, you know, with a little bit of faith. And that's what I well, should get it more now, faith money. <laughs> <coughs> well, and look at it this way. How long are you going to want to do what you're doing if you're broke and unhappy doing what you're doing? How is that providing a service to somebody to allow ourselves to get burnt the fuck out and then we just quit? That's one option. I am broke and burnt the fuck out. What do you want from me? And then what help can I be? You know, like, what help can I be if that fire dies? good points that's for sure and Mm -hmm. that's kind of the way i feel you know yeah there's a longevity situation that comes into place where it's like you can only do something for so long while we're like 
we're literally, we suffer. We do. We suffer for the greater good of everybody else. And as much as that is very noble of us at the same time, how long do you expect me to do it if I'm broke and burn out? Boom. All lessons stop because fuck this, fuck that. Like, (laughs) you know, like nobody wants that. Then what good are we too? So, and it's never made sense to me. Like, why should the greedy people take the money and the people that actually are using their resources to give back to the people? Like, why, why, why are we the ones that are always so like humble about wanting to take money? These assholes are taking all the money. We're the ones that are going to do good things with it. So the way I see it, the more money I acquire, the more I will personally actually help people. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's like the more money I have, the more money I am able to help people. Do you realize that it took me six years to sell my first grandma hash? Not because I didn't have hash, because I, I had this mindset that I couldn't take money for it. I couldn't. Six years before I sold my first grandma hash. I don't need to feel guilty if I'm going to start charging for online classes or for people to reach out to me with questions. Like I have hand over fist proven that I am for the people and shit. You know what I mean? Uh, Six years to sell my first grandma hash. That's pretty amazing. That says a lot. I mean, and it's provable. Anybody can hop online and fucking post that question in the world. When's the first time anybody actually paid a monetary value to me for their hash? A couple years ago. Like, because it was, that was my heavy mindset was I can't take money from this. Otherwise it takes away from why I'm doing it. I didn't realize that I would struggle so fucking hard because of it, that there would be days that I can't fucking do it. Never mind not want to do it because I am broke and burnt out, but like can't physically or financially do what I want to be able to do to help people. Like I literally was cutting my own fucking hands off. I still do. I still need to find that balance, you know, but it's a, it's a hard thing that I think that a lot of people actually in our positions definitely struggle with. Um, and I think there needs to be a certain mindset change to that because we really are just doing a big injustice to people by not being able to provide them the best that we can. But like people don't realize financially, like, man, it's fucking hard. You know, nothing in this world is free. So, yeah, uh, it's important. It's important for it people is. to understand that, too, because there are a lot of people with their hand out. Me, me, me. I deserve things for free. Okay, well, why? Why don't I deserve the same? Like, why do you? You know, I think a lot of people really take advantage of, of people's kindness and generosity. And honestly, that does a very large injustice to the other people, because guess what? If I got five assholes that are before one person that really has a genuine question, if I get five assholes just being kind of, and I don't mean like flat out disrespectful because nobody's like, yo, bitch, give me your fucking sauce, you know? 
No, but it's like, no, hello. Like six questions at once. Like, what the fuck? You know, like, or like zero, zero back information on their own as far as learning themselves, even the basics. Like, you're just going to hit me up and be like, tell me how to make cash. Ready to go. Like, what? Google, this is not Google. Stop, you know? So what about the poor assholes? It's like, I really have a genuine question. I've done my research. I'm just at this one spot. Like, dear God, can you please help me? And I've had fucking four of these other dickheads in my DM. Am I going to be as interested in helping this one person that really does deserve my help? No, I'm going to be like, can everybody fucking stop? And that's not fair to everybody else either. And I don't think people understand that side of the world either. Is like disrespectful people that don't put value to things that us professionals do really are ruining it for the rest of the people too. You know, so like, I wish there was more awareness on that because it's funny. Anytime I post something and like kind of call that out, uh, every single fucking hash maker I know reaches out and says the same thing. I don't answer questions for people anymore because I'm sick of people just expecting it. And it sucks, you know, like I think that consumers and like newly aspiring people really like for some reason we've lost this huge amount of respect that we became accustomed to, you know, like coming from the the legacy side of things. Dude, like to have somebody just reach out to me and be like, yo, let me get a cut. Like, whoa, what? Like, that's not how things work. Like, you don't just expect that, like, like there's a certain amount of respect that has been lost in this new industry. And it's, I wish that more people would speak up about it so that I didn't have to be the only asshole doing it. But I legitimately have all the other hash makers that are like, that's why I don't talk to people. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to be that person, you know? Um, So yeah, to the viewers, like if that's the kind of person you are, please evaluate that and change it because like people are growing cold and turning their back because there's no fucking respect for the people that are willing to like go forth and give their time the same way that I do and the same way that a lot of people that have done things my way do. Like... It just sucks. I'd rather take some money for it so that I can continue that appreciation rather than just grow cold to it and be like, nope, I'm just going to make my shit. I don't have to show you anything. I do great on my own. You know, like I don't want all of us to get like that, but there's so many people that are to that point of just like, nope. Why do you think it's so hard to find a lot of like accurate information? It's the reason that I get so many people that are like, thank you. Like I ask other these other people these questions and nobody will answer me. And it's like, you're welcome. But this is why like people are unintentionally ruining everything about why we do the way we do. And I, I, I really hope that people can like take a better look at that and like quit it. <laughs> anyway, sorry, that's my tangent, but it's it's a it's a very prominent problem just in the industry as a whole. You know, like respect, like where'd it go? Value, where'd it go? I definitely, and then I, again, 
I agree 100% with you. Uh, I, and again, I, I get to, I get to brag to, to say that, uh, you say you wish more people would, uh, kind of step up to the plate and do more about that uh with the help of chad westport uh, chad westport and myself uh last week actually did a show kind of on this topic of trying to bring respect back into the community because we've seen a lot lately uh in chats and the way people treat each other in the industry uh respect has dwindled quite a bit and the way people approach and some of the things that they say to uh, people without uh, having the slightest bit of respect for their where they are in life, their situation, all the above, uh, was getting out of hand. So we kind of tried to address everything you were saying last week to kind of have plead with everybody that watched to kind of bring some type of level of respect back to the community before things got out of hand. And it was kind of coincidental not to bring like current events or, you know, other bullshit into it, but it was kind of echoed in the other night at the, at the Oscars, I kind of felt that echoed you know, it wasn't just in the cannabis community that it was extended out into humanity in general, that line of respect of getting kind of out of hand. You know what I mean? That's what happened there. That The line of respect kind of was crossed there. You know what I mean? I kind of seen that, you know, it was kind of a wake up call for me, you know, Opinions aside, should it happen? Should it happen? It, but it, to me, what I seen was a reflection of what was going on in the cannabis community. It, it just echoed, you know what I mean? And that, to me, was a perfect example of, you know, not having respect, how shit could get out of hand, basically. Not saying that's what you're speaking of in general, but a level of respect, uh, nonetheless. But, yeah, uh, I want to slap the shit out of people like at least three times a day. So I get it. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. since we bring up the Oscars, uh, I 100% agree with you. I do think that was staged because Ukraine who? What was that? COVID what? Yeah, nobody knows. Everybody's talking about the Oscars. I think it was fake as shit. But I do agree with the concept behind what you're saying. If it wasn't fake, because hell yeah. Like, I think more people need to get fucking slapped. <laughs> Hypothetically, not like, I'm not trying to, like, get all fucking violent on people. But, like, yeah, it's sad. You know, the internet, everybody says, oh, the internet's to blame for the lack of respect. Is it? Yeah. A large part of it. large part of it are their fucking shitty parents that didn't, you know, discipline their children and just sort of let them grow into fucking assholes um god yeah this whole world is just kind of shitty right now and i would love to be part of one of the voices to be like hey guys do you remember to not be fucking assholes all the time i don't know can we like cohabitate on this god-awful rock floating through space in like a, a good way so that everybody benefits you know i just want to be the cute little fucking garden fairy that 
frolics around and makes my hash and like spreads that love to people and man the world makes it difficult to just like remember like we we all need to have some respect for each other because fuck man yeah it's gotten bad well that's what i that's what i took away from it as well you know i'm not necessarily jumping in down the, the slap side of things but and again not weighing in on the real or fake side of things either but i do hope that people do take some kind of note you know of uh how to how to treat each other you know what i mean out of respect and line of respect bring the line of respect Mm-hmm. like don't make me i might be a grandma but don't make me get started with the fucking back in my day stories because i'll fucking do it i will back in my day if you approved your fucking dealer and blah 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 you would get yeah no don't let me start with the back in my day stories just to try and like remind people but it's so interesting with how like the entire culture is now turned to industry and it's like man I, it's just there's so much is just getting lost and it's so sad and I hear other people talk about it too you know but yeah if we don't talk about it it's literally just going to disappear you know I like those back in my day stories I think I'm going to start a grandma doe page and just do like straight up straight up fucking back in my day stories coming coming grandma doe 420 i just uh am inquiring the title myself i just found out that uh, i will be a, a grandfather in june and i'm fucking totally stoked about it to be honest with you i never thought i you know all all the years raising kids i was like i'm not ready to be a grandpa i'm not ready to be a grandpa but the last couple of years i've been like be so bad and my girls were all like it's never happening it's never happening fuck this world fuck this world and then i got the the call the other day and i was like so stoked you know i was again kind of a new horizon that i'm so looking forward to you know what i mean you think Um, about it a kid that you can give back yeah take this it's crying and again it that has some to do with it i again i love the whole process especially when they're young just kidding oh uh, uh, but uh for me and again no offense i raised three wonderful girls but she is offering the grandson the grandson boy that i never got to play with so yes i get to give him back but then again, I get to have all the experiences that I never had uh, raising a boy. So I'm very, very, very much looking forward to the next phase of becoming a grandfather. Yeah, it's funny because I really just joke about that because the mother in me is not like it's crying, take it back. It's like it's crying, give it to me. You know, so yeah, that was more a joke. But um, yeah, we have that in common as well. I have three girls and my oldest daughter just had a little boy and I make jokes that like, I don't even know what the fuck to do with a boy, (laughs) but oh my gosh, he is so cute. 
unfortunately i'm not allowed to post any pictures of him anymore because at some point a couple months ago somebody made a couple fake accounts with all of my stuff and actually like was trying to blackmail me out of like a couple thousand dollars to get them to take it down and they were threatening to slander the fuck out of my kids and they were posting pictures of my children and they like it was gnarly they took all my pictures off my social media and then they legitimately used it against me and were trying to threaten me and told me that I needed to pay them a couple thousand dollars or they were going to run my kid's name through the mud and like say that they were doing drugs and like all this crazy shit. And of course I didn't pay it because I was like, I'll fucking find you. <laughs> but unfortunately, like, yeah, welcome. That's the first time that anyone's, it's not the first time I've been uncomfortable that fake accounts have used my children. Um, you know, in posts of them being like, these packs are ready for fucking blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh my God, that's a picture of my kid. Like, what are you doing? But this was the first time that they actually tried to spin it and tried to get money out of me to get them to shut it down. I was, it blew me away. So yeah, unfortunately I can't post any pictures of my adorable grandbaby, but just know he's there. And uh, I'm kind of with you on the three girls and now having a the opportunity to have a little boy around it's really neat it is i'm blown away about the the blackmail thing that's the shitty side of you know living a public life you know mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's shitty it's shitty and you know kind of back to what we were kind of talking about, like things on my side. Uh, I feel so, uh, there's times where I, feel, I kind of feel so obligated with the information that I share about my off-screen life uh, because I do it so often. You know what I mean? When you yes. show up every day or close to for a couple of years and then you don't show up it leaves a lot of what the fucks you know what i mean so i kind of feel at some point like i need to fill in the blanks and share the reasons why and shit and then a lot of times i'm like oh that's too much i've said too much <laughs> i've said too much you know yeah i, mean? I uh, it sucks I, to hear that, feel that at some point that too much can come back and Haunt you in like that, whatever. It's awesome. Yeah, it's really fucked up. Yeah, I feel you on the. I don't necessarily feel obligated to share. It's just like, uh, I don't know. A lot of the reason that I do share things that sometimes, like, I would kind of prefer not to, but what I get out of it is it's actually really helpful for people to have like an honest situation. Like I'm a real person. I tell people I'm not a brand. I, I mean, yeah, I, I am a brand, but I'm a fucking human and I struggle and I work really hard to do what I do. And, and so many people, like so many circumstances that are not normal life circumstances like someone blackmailing me over a fucking account let's not even talk about ex-partners that have literally like chopped me off the fucking legs 
and left me with nothing to fucking scrape to get by to be able to get back to just being able to support my kids like yeah I'm a brand but I'm a single mom that is fucking had every single obstacle thrown in my way and I have to crawl out of that and I don't necessarily want to be quiet about that all the time you know like if I was then what what good am I you know, like I'm trying to provide like a real life experience on this stuff. And there's lots of different reasons behind it. You know, um, at the end of the day, you know, we're all human. And I think it's, it's important for those of us that do share these very human characteristics. It's important to have people like us out there, you know, um, the, the messages that I get, that are always like, just really touched my heart or the appreciation for me being real and for me sharing that you know I don't put on this insanely fake facade that everything's great and like I share the good and the bad and along with love and passion there's also like grief and despair like you've got two ends of this spectrum you can't always just share the one otherwise like I am just a brand and I'm not showing my human side um but I'm fucking human and I, I benefit from the people that benefit from me sharing those things. You know, that's what helps me continue to pull myself from the fucking bottom back up when somebody has fucked me over, you know, what else would I do? I could just disappear like without encouragement from people when I need it when I'm able to share these very personal things without that encouragement, I ask myself, where the fuck would I be? I need that. And I benefit from it as much as people do when they're able to say, Hey, your story, I resonate with that. And it really helped me in a way, whatever way it may be, you know, like that's important to me. And yeah, I feel obligated to share shit in a way, but at the same time, I don't like, I'm so appreciative. Anytime I'm like having a hard time and I post something about it, like there are really good people out there that still will help me. And like, as much as I boost people up and they're like, you inspire me. Like, do you know how many people it takes to inspire me some days? And I do get that from that open sharing. And I wouldn't get that if I hid the shit I was going through. And then guess what? I would be alone. So it's interesting. It's an interesting spot to be in, especially when you've got people that are like, don't share so much. And it's like, be a fucking human. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is not my business page, people. Like, it's, it is, but it isn't. Like, I'm a person just doing the best I can. And so, yeah. I just, I fit into a different little category than just like cannabis business. You know, it's, I don't know. People get vested into our lives. Like they're, people actually care. People care. If we disappear, it's not just like, what the fuck? It's like, there's genuine concern from a lot of people, you know, and they look up to us and it's like, it's not even about, I have to post this so that people know it's about like, no, like when you share with people like this, you have to accept that you genuinely have some type of an impact on their life. You know, I mean, it took my 12 year old daughter telling me, Hey mom, do you realize that like, you really like, and 
like people really look up to you. Like if you like their stuff or if you comment, like people genuinely get excited. Like people look up to you and it's important that, that you're aware of that. You know, she's like, when some of my favorite people reach out to me and even just them liking my comments, she's like, mom, it does so much for me. You know, she's like, cause I look up to these people and that means something to me and it makes me feel good. She was like, mom, you make people feel good <clears throat> just even by your smallest interactions. But the fact that, you know, like you reach out personally or you share what you do, this is coming from my fucking 12 year old. I was just like, kid, you're going to make me cry. But like, we need to remember that, you know, we, we do have the ability to have an emotional impact on people that don't even know us. And it's such a beautiful thing. Like it shows there is still humanity. Like as much as the garbage that we have to deal with, it's, it's the not garbage. It's the, that stuff. It's the people that like, I'm able to fucking make somebody's day better by simply commenting with a fucking smiley face and a heart. Like I can genuinely make somebody's day fucking better by doing that. Dude, that is so fucking heartwarming to me, you know? And so I think that's like, that's why I share as much as I do is I see the small impact that leads to very large impact on a bigger scale than I think any of us even realize. And, you know, when you have that ability with people, especially on social media or especially having your podcast, like it's almost our responsibility to be aware of that and like to make sure that we are seeing the benefit that we're providing. Like it's important. Like, what are we missing in this world? Respect and humanity. Okay. So show your human side, you know, and then don't be so blind that you don't see the respect that people actually give that, you know, people give us respect when they're like, I listen to your shit or I mean, that shit means something. It does. So, yeah. You know, uh, again, some of that I, I guess I definitely needed to hear. And then, uh, again, I think we the value in what we do, why we do it, is very similar be honest with you i think what you just said very much sums up the guilt or some of the guilt i had in monetization it's because i always have gotten so much more of value out of everything you just said you know the the little dms the whatevers them things have carried so much weight with me and they do that to me, I mean, how do you, how do you fucking really put a price on that? You know what I mean? To know that you brighten somebody's day or you're having some type of impact, you know what I mean? Then to turn around and think, you know, I should charge a buck for that. To me, that's where my moral value falls. And you know what I mean? That's my moral dilemma. I'm already. But that is where the disconnect is because. Again, if you're broke and burn out, are you going to be able to provide that to anybody? That's that's one of the other takeaways uh, I've taken from it tonight. That lesson. Go, 
I, you know, I, I've definitely taken away a lot from this episode. And uh, again, I'm, I had a ton of respect for you before, and I have more for you now. And that's what I love about doing this is, you know, I kind of what you said, you know, um, people have, I'm sure, a ton of uh, respect for you as a hash artist, but allowing, you know, this, letting them in on this uh, builds a deeper respect, which, you know, uh, people don't necessarily get to see. That's why I like to do, do do these things is to show people that you know, this this side of you know the point and uh, yeah. again a whole new level of respect I had you know, a, a lot of for the, you as a grower ash artist but even more so now as a person after having this conversation so you know I do I thank you for everything you said because a lot did take a lot of it away you know and i will you know ponder a lot of what we talked about so i appreciate i appreciate your your mindset you as a person you as a grower as a highest artist for sure we share a lot of the same values for sure that's awesome to hear there's other people out there doing it for all what we do for a lot of the same reasons. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you. Yeah, for a really long time, I would dodge uh, podcasts or interviews and stuff like that, especially being a, a woman in this area and just being around like a, a woman in general. I mean, I, I never do like the woman empowerment or like women are picked on or this or that, but there's a fact that like, I can't tell you how many times I've been told I should just shut the fuck up. Like your opinion doesn't matter. And so for a long time, it took me not coming on these because I do run my fucking mouth. Like if I feel something strongly, I'm going to vocalize it. And for the longest time, I got a lot of backlash from doing so, but I've never really cared, you know, um, about what people want to think about what I have to say, if it is in a negative way. Um, but the, the ability to have a positive impact just by using my voice, you know, and telling my story and being able to share these things and not listen to those people that are like, just shut the fuck up, make your money, keep your head down. Like I I'm not that person, you know? Um, so yeah, the podcast, like, I really appreciate you inviting me on here because, uh, it's hard for me to be comfortable sometimes vocalizing these things. But like I said, if, if I can have an impact on people, whether it be our community or just humans in general, or like you, like the fact that you're saying like that you're taking anything away from this other than I'm a little hash maker from Utah that blah, blah, blah. Like that means something to me. So thank you for the opportunity to be able to, you know, vocalize some of this. Um, I think it's important. And a lot of people are in that keep your head down, your mouth shut mentality. Just make your money. It's not worth the fight. It's not worth the argument. It's not worth the drama. And I'm like, first of all, let's re let's, let's like reconsider the word drama. You know, like there's important shit that people need to talk about to bring humanity and personality back into 
this human interaction that we have. And unfortunately, I feel like drama is a word that's used to discourage um, important conversation. So thank you for the opportunity to, you know, be able to share my opinion on this stuff. Oh, man, it's, it's been my pleasure and it's been everybody else's that's watching this pleasure as well. And I hope that, uh, that you will be available for the ladies of hash episode, uh, round two. Uh, I think that will be a, a fun episode, uh, the second round, even more so after we've had this opportunity, uh, you're the only one that I did. You're the only one out of that episode that I hadn't had this opportunity until now to have. And it was well worth the wait. It was well worth the wait. So I'm, I'm much looking forward to the next encounter. So thank you very thank much you. for hanging out tonight. Uh, just a, a few perks or whatever. This is how things happen on the channel here. Uh, basically, there's the spotlight that me and you have done tonight, uh, the introductions, the, the, the behind the scenes bio kind of thing. Uh, and then there's kind of the phase two of the channel, which I called Weed Nerd World. It's had several, several names, reincarnations uh, in the last two years, but it's staying Weed Nerd World now. So basically how this works is the Zoom link that I sent you today is uh, your Zoom link that is good for Weed Nerd World. Uh, anytime you just want to come hang out with a few stoners and smoke, talk life. Sometimes we're talking hash, sometimes we're talking cannabis, sometimes we're talking mushrooms, sometimes we're talking mushrooms on mushrooms, sometimes we're talking conspiracies. Uh, you never get know. Down with all that. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what you may get into when you enter the Weed Nerd World. But uh, how that how where you can find those monday nights is a weed nerd world wednesday nights <coughs> if i can remember the west coast takeover is a weed nerd world uh other than that uh, i told you before the show the time slots from 11 30 to 4 20 nightly so basically after we end this episode i'll open it back up for the weed nerd world and the weed nerd world is only open to past guests so tonight's 606 there's 606 tickets out there for the weed nerd world uh like i said you never know who's going to be there what we're going to be talking about but you're informally invited from now on no no invitations needed it's come come as you are come whenever you want to that's basically the invitation from now on uh we would love to have you at any point so please keep that in mind keep the invitation handy we'd love to have you at any point you just want to show up smoke a bowl do a dab just pop in and out like you said the impact that you have as that like uh i know what you're talking about so if you ever want to transcend that and Bring in a little bit of that to the weed nerd world. It'd be pretty awesome. We'd love to have you. Uh, the other thing I'd like to get from you before you go is a silly little thing I call the soundbite, which uh, my version is, uh, hey, this is Eagle, and I'm on fucking talking shit with Eagle, episode 606. You can say whatever you down. want. <laughs> uh 
you can put whatever you want before or after that, as long as it's kind of got that in the shout out. I'd be grateful. At some point, this will be kind of a commercial for this episode, kind of a reminder. You know what I mean? At some point. So if you could be so nice to give me your sound bite, I am. Um, episode what? Word, but 606. Right now? I, I'm ready. No. This is Jen Doe, and I was fucking talking shit with Eagle, episode 606. Thank Anything you so else? much for your time. No, that's that it, man. Thank you so much for your time. You I gave got me it the first quite a bit try. this evening. First try. First try. Thank this has so been a lot of fun. Me. Yeah. Um, before you go, just because um, there has been so much uh, great feedback about uh, this episode, the information, the conversation in general, remind people where they can find you, the Instagram, your YouTube, where they may be able to find some of the knowledge in the future, uh, if you could throw that out there for them. Yeah, so my Instagram is jendoe420, two N's, J-E-N-N-D-O-E, 420. Um, I will be coming up with a website soon, but it's not ready yet. Um, most of my shit you can find on Instagram. If I ever disappear from there, just start searching the many hashtags that I use, like nudefarmer.com or jendope.com like shit like that but for right now instagram is the go-to and when i get my website up and going i will definitely keep everybody posted because that's coming soon right on well again thank you for your time I never thought I would get a whole three and a half hour long episode out of you. And I'm grateful for every minute of it. For those of you guys that are watching, thank you for your time. Hopefully you will transfer over into the weed nerd world. Empty your bladders, fill your trays, and I will see you guys in a few minutes. Those of you who will not, I'm grateful, very grateful for your time as well. Please do not forget to do something nice for somebody. Random acts of kindness do save lives. Thank you one last time, Jendo. I hope to see you soon. We are out of here.